This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 24, Spotlight on Women in Comics. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans, episode 24, Spotlight on Women in Comics. Originally, this uh, episode was supposed to air as episode 23, so the actual beginning of the episode will start in just a moment. Uh, this episode features a discussion on uh, my guest Amber Struck's top five favorite X-Men storylines as she missed out on episode six, uh, which was our t- my and Paul Scores and her husband... Um, not Paul's husband, Amber's husband, Nathan Strzok's uh, top five favorite X-Men storyline. So we wanted to go back and revisit that so that she had a chance to share her favorites because she was sad that she was unable to make it to that session. Um, also, then we talk about Spotlight on Women in Comics. And so without further ado, we'll segue into the actual episode. Like a conversation. They're like, are we, are we recording? And I'm like, yeah, we're starting. I love The Nerdist. It's awesome. It's a really good podcast. Although he had Larry I King on and it was channel. awkward. You should listen to their podcast. Hey, Adam. Yeah. We're recording. Oh, well, there you go. It happened. You had to press the button. You were so excited. <laughs> what was I saying, even? You were talking about how some people podcast. press record, and the other person's like, are we recording? <laughs> well, that seems about right. Yep. I was talking about Larry King on the Nerdist podcast. One of the most awkward podcasts I've ever do listened to. Do you watch to. their YouTube channel? I do. Do you I, watch I, Cocktails I, with Stan? Yes, I do. It's hilarious. That's messed up. <laughs> All right, so we are into episode number 23 of Comic Shenanigans. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. I'm sitting here with... Nathan Struck. And? Amber Struck. All right, so we have a uh, lot Struck to get to. Struck sandwich. Sam- I'm in the middle of the Struck sandwich. That's really awkward. That is not happening. <laughs> well, that's, you broke breaking my heart here. Um, okay, so today we're going to be spotlighting on women in comics, but before we get to that, uh, unfortunately, when we did our top uh, five favorite and least favorite X-Men storylines, we were missing someone important, and that was Amber. And she's a huge X-Men fan, and I don't even know how we missed you, and I felt really bad afterwards. So we, we needed to have you come on the podcast and talk about your favorite X-Men storylines, and then we'll get into the main episode. I was at work. I'm always at work. You're at work? And yeah. always? Okay. So, my first favorite X-Men storyline, and I guess no Did you number order. them at all? I didn't number Why them. Why do you people hate because numbering? I don't want to rank them. Just pick number one. They're like children. Just, no, just pick okay. number five. But we're going to go five to one. I think this is your number one. Well, then give me number five. Um, okay. Um, And then you're all stressed out. I don't know which one's number five. Um, number five is E for Extinction. All right. And which issues does that cover? Um, it covers... Because I'm such a dick. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, I'm afraid. 2002 Eisner Award nominee X-Men 114 to 117. 114 is 117 of New X-Men. Okay, got it. By Frank Quietly and Grant Morrison? Yep. All right. I really enjoy the Morrison Quietly team. Um, not on Superman. No? But on X-Men. No. Okay. Now, are you a fan of Morrison's run in X-Men in general? Because I know that, Nate, you're yes. not a huge fan, are you? Hit and miss. Hit and miss. Are um, you more just when Frank Quietly's doing the illustrations, Amber? Or do you like Igor Cordy, Ethan Van Skyver, those guys when Van they Van Seaver's do... very good. Van yeah. Seaver's really Are good. Right? Is it Skyver? I honestly don't know. I've heard it both ways. Ethan? Sorry, Ethan. <laughs> Somewhere out there, he's listening. I feel close to you. I can like you. He hates us. We're racist against the Dutch. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, well, Igor Cordy, I, I hated. Actually, that's part of why I really fell out of, run, out of Morrison's run, because he kept doing fill-ins because he was so fast. There's a reason why he was fast. There was nothing to his artwork. <laughs> Anyways, please continue. Yeah, well, I did. I did enjoy most of Morrison's run. Again, there were like certain arcs that were just like, why, why Morrison, why? 
But I think that is... Because he's Morrison and he yeah. does crazy shit but see, on that's, purpose. That's one of the great things about Morrison is sometimes his crazy stuff is great. And I'm sure someone thinks all of his crazy ideas are great. It's just not everybody thinks all of them at the same he time. He had his own convention, great. Morrison Con. Yeah. Like, he's because he's a sorcerer. He's an amazing creative <laughs> mind. And I really liked when he came on X-Men and the things he did and how he sort of refreshed the series. Mm. Certainly did. Because he cut out Austin from the series. They took him out and... That yeah. they got rid of the costumes and put them in black leather. Well, Austin was still writing at the same uh, shortly thereafter because Austin was on Uncanny because it was Casey. Oh, then who do you replace? It was Casey? It was Casey, and then Austin came after Casey. I don't know if that was the right move. And it was, but Austin's run shortly petered out after this started, I believe. No, no, no. It was yeah, Ca- Casey Peter started Milligan first. Came on for regular X Men. No, no, no. It was Ca- it was Casey started first. Uh, Uncanny X Men, I believe, three ninety four thereabouts. And then uh, Austin had come on to around 405, 406. And he was on there to around 425, 430. It was, and then, it was, then Austin jumped on to New X-Men. And, that, and then Mulgan came after him on this book. Because remember, Austin wrote for both X-Men. Well, I wasn't really reading comics at the time. Okay. So it's hard for me to tell. The it's because Austin did a little bit of jumping. He did a lot of Uncanny X-Men. And then when Morrison was done with New X-Men and became X-Men again. I just remember this being a he move away there. from colorful costumes. No, it was. It was a and, huge yeah. move away. Yeah. If this had happened a year earlier, it may have been able to capitalize on the movie a little bit more. Because Ron Garney... Well, this was this was exactly... My, like, my major disappointment with this was actually the costumes. Act, because I feel like anything that makes it more like the movie is mm. worse. Yep, and I would agree. I feel like when they put them in black leather, they're like, oh, the next movie's coming out, and we want to be more gritty and realistic and less superhero, and, and so we'll to, put them in leather, and I'm like, no. And, and we want to apologize to the to America for yeah. even thinking about putting superheroes on the screen, so at the yeah. very least we'll make it look like Matrix. Yeah. Which is so, why when Gifted happened, I, it was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, that's why I have Gifted in my pile as well, and okay. I just, when I was flipping through them, I, they have like the two scenes of like the team walking up, yep. like... First in black leather, like, here are our new costumes. Yeah. And then in Gifted, they're back in costumes. They're uh, like, we're superheroes. This is what we do. And I... Whedon made me care about Morrison's stuff more than Morrison did. That's fair. Which, because I think he took the concepts and the craziness, and he made it more mainstream, I guess. Like, he, he kind of toned it down. He took the good, he took the bad, and there you have the facts of X-Men. Like... So if, if they were superheroes before Morrison, and then they weren't superheroes, and then yeah. uh, uh, Whedon brought them back... Yep. To being superheroes, what were they during Morrison's run? What do you think? What planetary. Do you say? They were planetary. <laughs> I would. Yeah. I would. I don't know about that. They're not. They're not quite planetary, but just the weird ideas and the weird things that happen. Mm. It wasn't. It didn't. It wasn't traditional X Men comic. It wasn't traditional superhero comic. But it was. It was the the twisted ideas and and the wild sentinels that there wasn't just like some robot that had been made by the government to destroy mutants it became like its own thing and they evolved and especially when you had like you know things like danger later and other ais that were taking Mm -hmm. over and fighting the x-men well it's interesting to say that though because if you look at a lot of their ideas uh the ideas that morrison ended up using i mean he actually in in a lot of ways uh if you take away comes a lot of the aesthetics and the costumes and stuff he actually in some ways did get back to the heart of what the x-men originally was it was a school again they were haired and feared. Now uh, they didn't have Xavier pretending to be a human anymore, so he was out and about, uh, like literally, yeah, he outed literally out. In this arc. And that was a huge change. So I mean, there was a lot of change going on. And um, they were fighting Sentinels again, which and they is were brutal X Men. And they were fighting like the first page was not open up with uh, yeah. with Xavier. Sorry, uh, Wolverine and Cyclops finishing off a Sentinel. Like isn't that yeah? Right and Cyclops is like, you don't have to do that anymore, Wolverine, and he's just using yeah, his he's claws still on the it. yeah. 
So it, it, it I, this first arc I, I did really enjoy, I guess, because it was still, it wasn't that far removed from the X-Men of yore. Like, if they were all in their colorful costumes, you wouldn't even know, realize there was that much of a, a tonal shift. It was only after this arc, really, when he started to go a little bit crazy. Yeah, with the bug room and stuff. I would say, yeah. I would say the tone changed dramatically when he commits when he has genocide committed on the Alan of Genosha, which happens in the, like two panels, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I find that is a, a a gross mispacing of an event that should have had more time given to it. Although or gore, just more time. Although it is interesting because in real life, like it, it kind of the, that's how fast it could happen. Like, it, like it's basically like when Pearl Harbor happened, it was relatively. Quick or even yeah, I, bombing I, Japan, like it's yeah, a huge incident. Yeah, there's not a lot of preamble. It just, just happens. I don't want the event. I don't because the event would there be a tendency you for the artists to draw more gore. You wanted them to explore the fallout of it. Yes, more? and I would like them, yeah. the page right afterwards. If Amber can go there now, to not be a drawing by okay. Ethan Van Siever of Beast doing the alas poor Yorick scene from Hamlet. Yeah, with Beast holding up someone's skeleton that has just been stripped of its flesh. It has no emotional resonance. There's no mourning. The only one who's kind of upset is Emma because her students were there. Yeah, but I think Emma has done really well in that scene because she's sort of disoriented and confused and True. her secondary mutation right. has come up. And... It's just an inappropriate scene. Well, I think scene. Morrison isn't really good at emotion. I mean, we can no. all... He's good at the big stuff, the big ideas. I don't think anyone will ever... Like... Even the people who... Yeah, even the people who really like Morrison would never really say he's sentimental. You see what he says? First scene after genocide's committed, and Beast after this by other writers is just horrified by the event, and anyone that belittles it, he just kind of bites their head off. He says, "I don't know how this, how to break this to you, but your days, uh, your dating days may be over, my friend." Yeah, that's pretty He's gross. Super callous. That's <laughs> yeah, not appropriate that's not beast, at all. Though. No. You want to go like, through Auschwitz and take out the corpses of the dead, you know, Jews who were massacred, mm. and start making jokes about their dating lifestyle? It's interesting too. Is that this is a beast? I mean, if you think about it, Beast has no direction at this point in his life. I no, mean, he just becomes a cat. At he this point he just too. become a cat. But even before that, like the nineties, his his entire thing was curing the legacy virus. Yeah. Like yeah. every issue you read Beast in, he was sweating about it. He was freaking out. He was trying to blow off steam because he was upset he couldn't cure this disease. And this is it had only been cured in what like four or five months earlier than this. So he has nothing to do, and he just <laughs> become a cat. It doesn't excuse this. Girlfriend broke up with him for bestiality. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You are right, though. Like I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but yeah, that is kind of gross. How many pages? They don't. Two, but they three go, pages on. He does go back there with like the Polaris stuff, and you know, eventually. But, yeah, he doesn't. You're right. About There's not just a lot. Skips over it. But I think in some ways, I do think you're right that like, he maybe he should have spent more time. But I think that he was just trying to. Move past this. He was trying to say, this is the new way, but we're not going to worry about what came before. I think a lot of what his run was, was moving forward. Uh, not necessarily in directions I liked or even appreciated. but That's fine, but even a panel <laughs> with Jean's face buried in her hands, shedding a tear. That, that's wasted pages. Why does it have to be Jean? Why can't it be Cyclops? Well, I was going to say, say Beast, but you be wouldn't weak? be able to see <laughs> the tears through his cause. And, and Emma's heart. Yeah. It says right here, what happened to your skin, Emma? I have no idea. It got hard. Which is at least a nice reference to when she's in her diamond form, she doesn't really feel about She's very detached. Yeah. yeah. And it makes sense that she kind of goes into her diamond form to cope with this. Great. But I need more than that. I think so, looking back also, what bothered me the first time around, and by now it's so far 
and I, some of the other picks, I kind of, I have the same type of feelings where I felt a very definite way the first time, and now years later I feel differently. Is that I really hated the idea of secondary mutations because it was just there, and suddenly people were getting them, but not everyone was getting them, and it was very sporadic. That really bothered me. So I, so when I first read that, and now it doesn't seem so bad because they've kind of phased it out. Like most people don't have secondary mutations anymore, or they've. I mean, there aren't many mutants anyway. Well, so. Emma and Beast are the only ones that yeah. you really see the evidence in the Whereas, secondary mutation. Angel, Angel, yeah, yeah but that's kind of gone now, isn't but it? But now oh, that yeah. he's all crazy and... And now he's reborn yeah. as someone new. So, yeah, so it's kind of weird that when I first read this, that really bothered me. And I was really upset by it. And I'm like, this is so stupid. Interesting. You weren't upset by the skipping over the genocide, but you're upset by Honestly, the science fiction... I think it was something, something I, 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 I didn't notice as much. And part of it is, I think you're, you're also reading it collected. It does feel different. I, I I bought the first three issues of this. I know, but like, did you read them when you first read them? Did you I read them all once, or did you read them no, every, every couple months? Yeah. I think you get a different perspective, though, because the genocide does happen, but then you have a month to think about it, and then you pick up the next issue. Well, and then it's not two minutes later when you're flipping the page. That's also true, but also in the monthly wait, you're thinking, well, maybe next month Marvel will do something that touches on it. Or maybe they'll have a response to it yeah. next month. Or maybe in a different book they'll do a response, but no book did an re- actual reaction. No. The only time you see people start having reactions is House of M when Kitty goes... I don't want to go back to Genosha. I have a hard time being there. It's a mass grave, and my parents yeah. died there. Like that's you know, I can see her yeah. having a Who reaction. Said that? Kitty, Kitty Pride. Yeah, her parents yeah. are there. Yeah, I don't remember that. Says it what was she, what was she doing there? I do. What were her parents doing there? Yeah, what were her parents doing? Probably in visiting the new island paradise. But part, Kitty part wasn't of... there. No, but. She's a, she's a high-profile X-Man. I'm sure they got yeah. nice treatment there. So maybe some, really? Some, in Magneto's maybe some, nation? Maybe some grapes. You really think that Magneto's nation is going to treat X-Men affiliated people I, well? I, I think that he would treat humans certainly well because he was the new ruler of, an, of an, a nation and he wants to he show... He wouldn't go out of his way, though. <laughs> but you know what? He wants to show legitimacy to his cause and he's already got all the I, power he I just need. feel like Kitty Pryde would not <laughs> let her parents get within five feet of anywhere where Magneto was oh, going to well, be. Apparently they were there. That just seems like a I mistake. didn't write it. Oh, whoa. Good thing you didn't, I, I do like the scene when the genocide is happening, though. Like, how he handled that. That it's just Xavier in Cerebra, and the yeah, well, countdown that w- is... That was the horrific. The count is shrinking. Yeah, that was because horrific. Because he's looking at all the mutants, and then they're just going away. And it's like, you know, there's like 11 million of them, and then it's like 763, and then they're all gone. That also reminds me, I really didn't like that he started using Cerebra. That really... I don't know why. It just, again, it felt like a, a, a yeah, change they were trying to, to be changed. In, like, Something there's no new. reason that you could just have an upgraded Cerebro. Woman's appreciation, Adam. It's okay that it's a feminine ending. I don't, it's <laughs> not the feminine ending. It's that you have Cerebro, and you could just upgrade Cerebro, but it doesn't have to be called Cerebra. Why? Cerebro 4. Why is this being... Or, yeah, feminine anything ending like that. does not make it a pejorative meaning. Okay? It's not <laughs> negative because of that. I'm, not, I'm just saying there's no need to, to have a new name for it. your patriarchal, hegemonic values <laughs> ah, whatever. for this episode, at least. I'm just saying. like, It's like instead of having the iPhone, now it's the iPhoneer. Like, it's going to throw an extra... The iPhone up. Oh, so the iPhone But really, it's just the iPhone, like, 6. But I'm going to call it the iPhone for no reason. So you were, oh, you'd be okay if it was called, like, the vagina. If they call it Cerebro 2. Why, do, why, why are you going to vagina? I, Cerebro I'm trying to see how prejudiced you are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. Okay. okay. Not but anyways, the I just... Bagi- the vagina. I wanted to go back... <laughs> Um, oh my god! All right, we're wrap, wrapping yeah, up yeah. This, this 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 one issue. Yeah, just to to wrap it up, I shouldn't put my hand in front of my mouth when I'm talking on the podcast. But when Nathan said 
you have a problem with a science fiction idea, it just, it made me think, because I, I know you don't have a problem with a science fiction idea, but it not. made me think sort of what encompasses this is it's, this, this run by Morrison is sort of like high science fiction mm. in a way that X-Men is not in, in many times no. a high science fiction book. You get that a lot from the Fantastic Four with their yep. interdimensional travel and like strange it's things, Chiara. but... Once yeah. in a while, but the idea yeah. is they're yeah. not, the idea they're not is, played in the scientific way. They're not talking about the nature of humanity and like, relation no. to AI. Cassandra Nova and what is she? And like, I actually liked her initially until she became like eight different things. <laughs> but I thought she was a cool villain. And when Xavier shot her up in that scene where she's like healing her mm-hmm. neck break and yeah. stuff, that's all very like hardcore, eh? From Emma, yeah. pretty hardcore. Yeah, creepy, cool science fiction, and it's very high science fiction ideas in this book. And I think. That's why I like the Morrison run so much, and this one in particular, just because it sort of introduces all of that, and it starts all that, and it was... I started reading this at a time I hadn't been reading X-Men for a while, because okay. I lived in a small town, and my comic book stores kept closing because they couldn't live. It's so sad. And then one opened, and it opened just incidentally the month this started. So mm. this was like the first X-Men comic I bought in like three years or something, and yeah. I'm like, cool, new direction! And it was this really neat science fiction, and I was very into it at the time, and I think that is the the lasting appeal of this one for me, and okay. why it's on my top five list. I'm not a fan of the skinny visor. I did like that he had, what, the hand? Didn't he have, like, a hand grip so he could... Yeah, so he, he didn't have one? to do... I think the, it was this one. Ultimate. It was, was ultimate. It ultimate. I think they did that later, but they didn't explain it, but it was, like, what understood. I didn't like that it was the very skinny visor. I like having him actually have, like, a proper visor. Uh, I guess... I know he's supposed to be called Slim... I just don't like the way the Quietly made him look. Well, the Quietly's art, I think, is He's not... an acquired taste? Yeah, it is. It's it's good for the high science fiction because it has almost a horror aesthetic to it. Oh, definitely, yeah. And if you ever read We Three, like, he makes cuddly animals but makes them scary. Yeah, like, there's a there's a lot of contrast in my, in my he's favorite like a, He's like a more like detailed Richard Corbin, isn't he? A yeah, little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next Corbin one. Because we could it's honestly great. just do an yeah. entire episode based on Morrison's version you, you of the wanna, You so. want to mention at least before we move on the old faces? Oh yeah, they all have old faces. Yeah. It's not oh, as bad as it's here not as, as it gets bad in some... It's as Star Superman. <laughs> Shut up. It's such you a good like book. I loved it. Oh no. Honestly? So, I got you a costume, Lois. It powers for your birthday. It was crap. You know what? It was, <laughs> but it was Morrison channeling the Silver Age with a little bit of modern. It was Morrison being a sorcerer. A little bit, but it was meant to be there that way. There are sigils hidden See, all over these books. Yeah, the thing is, like... Uh, I didn't even have as much problem with the stories. As, as, as Superman, the perfect man who never ages, and Luther talks about how he's not getting older, and then he's like, oh, old man face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they cut to wrinkly Superman yeah. face, yeah. Yes, the but, next panel. <laughs> it's like, that's Superman's dad? <laughs> also, Superman's so good. The stories are so good. Anyway, okay, next on your okay. list. Next on my list is The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. Okay. So that was originally a miniseries, what, one to four, I believe, right? Yes. He's guessing. It's a four-issue miniseries um, about, if you're not familiar with it, which everyone should be. I'm not. But I've it's, never it's a little you more obscure. seriously never read it? I've never read it. You know of it, though. And you know I know what of it. it Amber owns issues, but they're I bought this it, actually... It happens in between X-Men 30 and X-Men 35, to put yeah. it in perspective. It's right oh, yeah. after Scott okay. and Jean's yeah. wedding. Um, they get They're going on abducted honeymoon. <laughs> by Rachel on their honeymoon and brought forward into the future to raise uh, baby Cable. And it was Rachel as Mother yes, Ascani. As, as Mother Ascani. Gene Ha art. This is it's crazy. beautiful art. I'm not a big fan. It's so. It's. It's okay. It's so. 
again, high science fiction-y. Like, he draws these for, crazy... I'll agree with some of that. Yeah. For, this, for this era, there's actually some storytelling going on. These there is crazy some story images dying. of the techno-organic virus, and there's a great panel that cuts to, like, um, Scott and Jean are red and slim. They're in different bodies because they're in the future. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You should read Wait, it. How they, has it spelled, though? S-L-Y-M? S-L-I-M. Are you sure it's I-M? I'm pretty sure it's I-M. It might be a Y. I think it's a Y. Is it a Y? It's two Ds on the red, right? Yeah. It's R-E-D-D. It's R-E-D-D for red. Red to So unnecessary. But it's like, there's a scene, and they're looking down, and there's just like cable little boy cable's hands there and they're holding his hands and then they cut the panel and there's this room full of people standing around him and he's just consumed by the techno organic mm. virus and the only part of his body not not covered with it is is his hands and they're just holding his hand yeah. and he looks horrifying and it's like they're still a family though and he's yeah. got this debilitating and it's just it's such a good emotional family story. Okay. And it is great high science fiction though yeah. because you do have like the idea that, you know, it, it is really weird though that they're they're kind of have bodies that approximate their powers. Yeah, they're like, like that, they're weaker kind of versions of their powers. Yeah, but I like the idea that you know that they had to send, they had to send the baby to the future to survive, and now they have to raise their child, but their child won't even know that it was them. Yeah, like that's well, very powerful was stuff. This the, I'm looking at page forty one of the trade. Would it, would this be the first time you see Apocalypse getting out of his armor? Ah, uh, yeah. That's the first time I'd ever seen it at this time, and I'm yeah. like, I didn't even, I didn't even know he came. We out didn't of the know there was a little man time. in there until X Men ninety eight. Yeah. And that was like, I mean, like after this. So long you see after this, this old wasn't like the premise was. See, that, that bothered me. This a is little. the introduction of like strife too, or yeah. like where he came from, and that's yeah. very cool to me because they they cloned Baby Cable. Yeah, well, they're trying to put it all together. Yeah, yeah, this is when they're really trying to put <laughs> it all. Cable. Trying to put it all together for the first time that, like, this is when they kind of like, okay, we are going to make Cable the son. Mm. This is how it makes sense. And this is how we're going to have him be raised. We can't just have this kid show up in the future. Yeah. And this, and it's it's not a bad origin story for Cable too. I mean, for people who really like this, they should read it. the Scotty Sun miniseries that came later that had him and meeting Aaliyah Jen Scott, who became his wife, um, and continued his journey as a young man. But you know, this is. Yeah. It, I, again, the artwork's not quite to my taste, so I'm not a huge fan. But it the is, storytelling I think it is, is strong. It is an acquired taste kind of artwork because it is sort of. Off. This is definitely better like, than some other guys I'm, who are drawing. The women at this are time. a little buff. <laughs> yeah, I'm impressed too that like so far. I mean, this is a very old school kind of. I mean, this is Lobdell, right? Is this Scott Lobdell? Yeah. yeah. So this is you know verbose narration. Old, old school. But usually the height. If, if the, you look through though, there there are not a lot of no, narrative no, boxes. no narrative boxes. Yeah, you and are that's right. that's the bothersome thing to me. Okay. Really, is the narrative boxes that come in and re-explain what a character just said or what mm. a character just did? Not the excessive dialogue. The excessive dialogue in this one did bother me because okay. I felt like it was well written and it was really touching yeah. dialogue a lot of the okay. time. Because I'm always surprised when you mention anything like pre '90s or '90s and earlier. <laughs> yeah, why is it on my well, list? Well, because Cause I because I, I dislike so much. Which is why, I, but it does interest me because then I want to know why because I know how much. You are not a fan of certain writing styles, which were very prevalent in that era and not in the modern era. So whenever you bring something like this up, I'm like, okay, well, there's got to be a good story, a good reason for this, because I'm more interested in why you like it, because I know, I can see why you wouldn't. This is neat. Yeah, this was the scene I was telling you about. I'm just looking at uh, 86 of the trade now, and um, that looks like Nate Gray. It's a young cable, and it looks like that's a cool connection. Yeah, Yeah, because this predated uh, AOA AOA. by a year and a half. But it's also an interesting take on a future that's governed by Apocalypse that's not AOA. And when I was reading it, um, it was obviously because I was too little to read it when it was 
airing. I bought it later. Well, okay. I don't know if I was too young, but when did it come out? Even <laughs> this ninety four. Ninety four, yeah. So ninety three, ninety four, because they got married in ninety three. So. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, I so. I, yeah, I would have been too young to read it then. So I read it later. So AOA had already been out, and I, like, I'd already been exposed to a lot of AOA, oh, so okay. I wasn't sure of the continuity. Okay. But this was a really cool apocalypse-dominated future, and these were, like, all nomadic things. And when Scott and Jean are put in these bodies that are weaker versions of their powers, mm-hmm. you know, Rachel apologizes, and she's like, that's the best I could do. The mutants aren't allowed anymore. Yeah. So it, it's great in that way. That it, it has this this post-apocalyptic or current apocalyptic uh, future, um, <laughs> and I also just like the the family moments for them, and even the um, the one scene where where Nate's really struggling with a techno organic virus, and they think it's going to consume him, and Rachel actually helps him. Okay. And you never see like brother sister relationship with Rachel and Nate, but here she's like, oh. You yeah. do. You do eventually years later. But yeah, yeah, up but until like, this point, because this, point, it, this it was brand more, new. This seems more tender. Yeah, it was very sweet, and she's like, "This is how like because she's like an old woman now, and she's been through being the hound, and she's had the phoenix." And all she this was going to get de-aged her. afterwards. I know, but <laughs> she'll be yeah, fine. don't worry, she'll be young. And no, I, I agree with you. There but, is like, a resonance. She's like, there. "This is my my favorite version of myself." Is is Rachel age fourteen, and she mm. teaches him like how to how to control it and how yeah. to use it, and it's just. I don't know. It was a cool setting, and it was a cool thing to happen, yeah. and it was very... To me, I love the art. I know you're not a big fan, but it's yeah. it's really nice, highly detailed art, and the vistas are great. He, does, he never yeah. gets lazy on the background. Well, that's, that's true. There's a lot of detail. In the, yeah. Especially in the 90s, there are a lot of artists who just omitted drawing backgrounds, and what Gene Ha is doing here is he's, first of all, very detailed art, yet there's something twisted enough about it that it's very dystopian. Yeah, and he also has nice angles on all his shots, I find. And I like how he, in- he integrates um, made-up architecture mixed with like um, uh, Egyptian kind yeah. of symbols and types of architecture. And like even this scene, I'm just looking at a page, and there's a scene where Red is cradling um, Nathan, and they're next to a, a post, and the post shows signs of wear and of... of mm-hmm. Um, texture to it, which is very rare, and a light source. Yeah. Jeff Matsuda would pee his pants if he saw how many backgrounds are in here. That's true. Uh, a notable thing too is that this is the first time that Cable, well, because now we knew who he was. Yeah. This is the first time Not that the Wild Man of Borneo. No. <laughs> this is the first time that Cable was starting to be given a purpose that the apocalypse was his real reason for for existing, because up until now we'd had Cable fighting against Strife and the MLF. Um, which obviously has links to Apocalypse, but it wasn't Apocalypse himself. It was after this story that everything Cable became oriented against Apocalypse and this coming showdown and that they were mortal enemies and he destroyed them once and he wanted to go back in time and prevent his future from occurring. They kind of lost that over the years a little, especially, and all weird things happened with Apocalypse over the last couple of years. But it was interesting. This is really where Cable and Apocalypse's lives became intertwined in terms of editorial and the way they wrote the stories. Up until then, Cable only had strife himself that was the yeah. only person he had to fight and that whole relationship i mean by definition if your purpose for the character is to have them complete a single task you either string them along for years making people bored eventually of that task star trek voyager yeah or drax the destroyer yeah and which is very similar actually to the cable apocalypse relationship yeah, oh, and yeah, then one day so. you kill apocalypse or one day you kill thanos and then you let them become free to do whatever they want yeah, and then they list and then they're directionless well, then direction like, Beast like bishop the legacy virus yeah. bishop saved the x men from the uh, the and traitor he became worthless he cable became, became worthless, worthless. Yeah. they tried to reboot cable make him soldier of fortune didn't really work that did not work at all drax didn't work either um, and then they made 
instead of Drax the Destroyer, they made him regular Drax and made him part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's kind of cool now. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, what's yeah. next on your list? Um, next on my list is Deadly Genesis. Okay. And um, you, is, is this like with your special mention of Giant Size X-Men number yes, one? special mention. Giant Size X-Men number one. I debated between the two, um, but I decided Je- Deadly Genesis is probably actually better, but I love Giant Size X-Men number one for nostalgia. Okay. Plus this wouldn't um, exist without it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or but none like, of the X-Men universe would really exist without it. When they tease this, I just remember flipping out and, and screaming, Krakoa is back, Krakoa is back. Because I loved Krakoa. Because it was so, it was a mutant island. And what is more X Men than more things getting mutated? Yeah. And uh, mutant you know, island, awesome. Wolverine, the X Men's book is the, the on the mansion now. They have a Krakoa, like as a pet. Their 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 grounds are Krakoa. So it helps. That's pre- very dangerous. So it that sounds really stupid. <laughs> so it helps protect the grounds. They made a deal with the, the Krakoa. Oh, they made friends with it. That's uh, that's gonna go badly. Oh uh, yes, but but <laughs> it's but it's but it's a fun concept. Yeah. That now you have like a basically it's a sentient uh, instead of having an AI like danger that's alive trying to protect your ground you have a, a weird badly. mutating creature yeah. <laughs> that can eat people. So what what but, is it about the, this book that makes it so good for you? I don't know. Um, I don't, it's the whole third Summers brother inter- idea introduction that I liked, and I thought I wouldn't like it when I heard there was going to be a third Summers brother, because I'm like, ah, that's did, just so soap opery. When did you first heard, hear about the third Summers brother? Because I heard about it in, like, 1992. That's why I ask. Well, I, <laughs> I a- heard about it because Nathan said, I wonder if it's going to be the third Summers brother, and I'm <laughs> like, what? And I had to go and look back at who this third Summers brother was, and then I was really excited that he was going to happen, and then I love, like, Shi'ar baby napping, and, like... Hmm. <laughs> They stole a fetus. <laughs> Some of the things that didn't work for me in that part was just that as much as I didn't like the character of Adam X the Extreme, <laughs> he was deliberately created in so overt a fashion that he was supposed to be the third Summers brother. Like, his origin, he, there was no point in him existing unless he was the third Summers brother. And then he wasn't. And it just felt like a mistake. Well, they just wanted to subvert your expectations. Yeah, but no, since, that's not what it was. Since Extreme was created, though, they had created Zeos, which was also alluded to as being the third Summers brother. But he was just no, not Zayas. Yep. Oh, that for, that and for they like, all knew all the for next for two seconds, and yep. then he was just a he was yeah, really just because machine. Marvel didn't know what they were doing, so they they defunct uh, Extreme. And if you were disappointed by that, Zayas came along, and up to this point, I thought Zayas uh, was the third summer. Now, Cable. Robert Weinberg, who's a writer of Cable for a few years. His plan was to make Apocalypse the third Summers brother, and I thought that was cooler. No, that's stupid. It was and so then it was going to be Gambit, and then it wasn't Gambit. Claremont wanted and Gambit, the Gambit was Sinister yeah. Clone. I know. So they've been all over the place. With but it. I like Gabriel as the third Summers brother. Yes. I think it was very cool that he was on Xavier's original team. I didn't um, like that it was an all new character, though. I wanted it to have more resonance because it was someone we knew. Well, I I'll tell you this right I... now: Extreme being the guy would not have any resonance. It, <laughs> a little bit of resonance. No, he it, wouldn't even walk around the mansion without cutting everything. Just a, 17 blades on his arm. In a way, it has resonance, though, because it's someone Xavier knew about. Yes, because they retroactively put it in. And wiped Scott their memory. Yeah. Havoc, and he wiped his memory, because Scott knew him. No, oh. no, Scott didn't know Gabriel. No, Scott, he knew Gabriel, he didn't know he was his brother. Yeah. Scott yes. went to Krakoa But again, Gabriel. this is all retroactive. No, he was saved by Gabriel. And I'm fine with them making stories like this. Well, he did know him. He yeah, knows. he went in with a team, and he was got captured. And in his, in his mind, Krakoa let him go and spoke to him. What actually happened is Xavier yeah. set the team yeah. in and yeah. freed him, and the and island went, Bleh. and he used Cerebro to alter their minds so that they heard the island tell them, I'm letting you go, to make them yeah. think it was sentient yeah. when it wasn't. He screwed over everybody. Now, obviously, this is super retcon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I guess that's my only problem with, 
I, I don't mind retcons, but I just... If you're going to... The third Summer's Resident has been teased for so long that I felt it was a cop-out to make it a completely new character and then retcon it into existence. It was cool the way they did it. And I, and I like him them, as a villain. And, and I, I love the stories yeah. that And I this. give them credit for coming up with an interesting way to retcon him in there and make this failed team more poignant and more of an upsetting thing that he kept from, from the team. That's cool, but I just wish in some ways that it hadn't just been a retcon and it actually had I found a way... To in the current continuity, like your community, a, a continuity junkie. That's why a little yeah. bit, yeah. yeah. I get high on continuity. Yeah. It's so amazing. It's your drug. It's my drug. I think, I think they also it also helped to make this team relevant to me. Like the little mini stories they did at the back of every issue oh, about like cool. their recruitment story, and I was just like flipping through them again. I forgot they were there, and then I like pulled it. I'm like, oh my goodness, I remember loving these too because I just remember the main plot line. But like they even have the one where Xavier's going and messing with uh, Emma's mind and changing her memories, and yeah. and Gabriel's with him and he shoots. What is it, Shaw? I can't remember. One of the Hellfire yeah. guys. And it shows he's a little reckless and unstable, so it shows something about his character. Mm. And then he says to Xavier, why don't you just make her agree to come with us? You're changing her memories. You're already messing with her. And Xavier's like, oh, it's different. So it it shows an example of Xavier's own invented morality anyways, that he yeah. has things he will do and things he won't do. And apparently things he will do is sacrifice groups of teens. And then wipe and, everyone's memory. And wipe everyone's memory. And then go and get more teens. And send them out. And then pretend to be ethical. And then be like, <laughs> I am a good guy. Yeah. Um, but it, it created a cool new villain. And Darwin, I think, yeah. was a cool new character. He was cool. And um, it, it introduced, again, new things to the X-Men that I really enjoyed. They killed Banshee. It, I was very that Banshee I, death was a good death. Yep, unnecessary. It was cool when it nope. happened, but I just Banshee is unnecessary. So <laughs> he wasn't fine. doing anything anymore. Nope. Well, because he just had his throat slit not, not that long previously. Like it's yeah, not like he, he was, was just recovering from. What yeah. has he done that's important since uh, Giant Size X Men number one? Just kept banging Mora. He helped lead Generation X. Yeah, that's the one thing. He was cool. He also nothing well, before, nothing after. He appeared after. in the Generation X film, <laughs> which, as we all know, was a work of masterpiece. I don't know. I just I like the character, and I just felt he didn't need to go out this way. And like, it was good. It was well written. Don't get me wrong. Like, like it was a I cool was sequence. shocked when I read it. I was like, what? It was a shocking sequence. It's very tragic. Very like, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. No, he doesn't. So that was great. But at the same time, I was just like, it, it felt like he he was just like, I got to make this. I gotta make them sit up and take notice. I gotta kill somebody, you know. And that's what Marvel does push that kind of mantra on, on writers. That if you kill someone, that's a big thing for saying. So Morrison was like, "I'll kill fourteen million, yeah, and then everyone will love I'll me." Kill Megasonic <laughs> teenage warhead is dead. Yes. Megasonic teenage warhead survived. Everybody else died. Yeah, but so this so this is very <laughs> much like there was no need to kill off Banshee. It was well done. So I give them credit for doing well, it. Well, they made him a threat, right? Yeah, that's how they do it. Now, that's how, a cheap way to make they, him a threat. I can't remember. Did they explain how Vulcan was able to shut down? What was it? Didn't he shut down like Cyclops and someone else's powers? He's an energy he's, manipulator. He's, he, oh, mani- yeah. yeah, so like okay. uh, Rachel, he dulled her powers and she could like barely stay conscious and Cyclops doesn't work against him anyways he because just redirects he's, his he's a summer yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, right. And he also had Petra's powers and the other um, right. team members' powers sway. because he got sway because they got kind of yeah. absorbed through that's right. when Darwin shielded him for all these yeah. years against the vacuum of space. I like the, the, the general thrust of the story is cool. I like that they bring in this new character who... He's really powerful, and then he become. I do like the the legacy of this book. Did you like Emperor Vulcan? 
I, I, you know, I like, was, yeah, I like, I like what what he did to the that cosmic side of the universe because yes. Annihilation was shaping a lot of things, and then when they eventually got to the Shi'ar being involved, it was cool when they had like the was it War of Kings because it was you know yeah, Gladiator yeah. versus uh, Vulcan, so it was really cool a legacy of of stuff that came from this. So I appreciate that, yeah, and it works really well for his character too. After what the Shi'ar did with him, well, this last page of the last and... issue, they take shots of um, old uh, panels yeah. of. Um, what was the Deken? Yeah, and they have Deken's Deken, face. No, um, and he—that's what he's seeing when he's flying through space. He's, yeah. he's, he's going to murder him. Yeah, and, and oh, so that's right. So Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire obviously came out of this, which yep. is an amazing story as well. Yep. So there's a lot of good that comes from this. Um, I, in retrospect, I don't mind as much, but I really was bothered by Xavier being such a douche here. Not so much because he was such a, a manipulating jerk, but because because dangerous had just happened. So, so just, you know he's manipulating. No, it, it just felt like they were just piling it on, and this is really the beginning of Xavier not mattering at all anymore and ha- losing relevance to the X universe. It was really this was one of the major thrusts when he started to not matter anymore. But I don't think it's because of the end of his sainthood. Like he was so sainted for so long, and this is a part I don't of think that concerted helps. effort. And they say he's a man, and he made concessions. And, and this a man is what that happens. powerful. This isn't just concessions, though. Concessions. Uh, yeah, but, he made moral but concessions. It, it, it shows him in the same light almost as Magneto. Because Magneto yeah, sure. has done these kind of things, too. And Xavier has always said, like, I'm different than him. And he's gone the other way. But really, he hasn't. Because it shows that the struggle to allow mutant kind to survive and to advance them is is ultimately one that requires a lot of sacrifices. And while it makes him seem very sinister for what he did... It also shows that he's the kind of man that's willing to do what it takes. And so that's always been what Xavier was like to me, that he's, he's got to do what it takes, but he doesn't and it's think... it's not always easy. Yeah, and it's not always easy, and he made these tough calls. And like at the time, I was like, what a douche. But when I was looking back on it after I'd read the whole series, I'm like, well... He did them I, when, for the greater I, purpose of his dream. When I think about him in context of Magneto... Yeah. It makes him less douchey and more interesting, but you're right because after this point, like he sort of went away. Like now he's and dead, they, like, and they I don't shot care. him in, in Emperor Vulcan and, and stuff, and then he was okay after that, and he lost his powers. But he was okay after that, and yeah. now now Cyclops finally killed him with the Phoenix Force, and he's probably going to be okay after that. <laughs> well, he, his brain just got scooped out of his head. Doesn't matter. So uh, He'll be back soon. His I, brain I, got blown out of his head with a bullet. And yeah, he was fine, so. yeah, that bothered me too. Yeah, I guess this is Manito's head got cut off. This oh no, wait, that was Zorn. This was just this <laughs> was just the I guess this was the beginning of a lot of really bad things. That happened to Xavier that reduced him but this being wasn't interesting. One of them. I was not. I, uh... I think as term, the, the story that is told in terms of looking at this story for what this story tried to do hmm. in a vacuum, not looking at it in a vacuum, I will give it more. This credit. is a good Brubaker story. Yeah. I was telling Adam before the podcast that this was a, an era where everything Brubaker was doing was amazing. His Captain America was just I couldn't get enough of it, and he was on X Men, and I was excited, and he, everything he he writes in here. Was gripping at the time. Like I still the like this a nice. lot. I think I was always let down by the. Call out to the art. I think I really enjoyed the first four or five issues, and I think when I read it the first time, issue six for some reason didn't work for me as much because it didn't feel like an ending. It, it was just leading into something else, and I think that bothered me because I'm like, you're doing this miniseries, and I wanted more of a conclusion, mm-hmm. and it didn't feel like one. Well, they give you all the answers you need, and then Gabriel leaves Earth. Yeah, and I didn't want him to leave Earth. I guess I, I, I wanted him to get more of a. I didn't want it to just lead into a new storyline. I wanted it to be the end of this story, and it really. It kind of was. Do you think the end of the story would be them beating him up? 
not necessarily beating him up. I don't know exactly what I want from it. Uh, you just want something. I, else. I think that I just remember being let down by the ending because I remember, like as I said before, before we started, is that you know I was reviewing comics at the time, and the first time I was ever quoted anywhere in a press release was about Deadly Genesis because I was a huge fan and I really liked it, and I was really excited that I was being quoted. And I was like, "This is awesome! <laughs> I can't wait for you. can't wait for issue six. And then I remember reading it and just being like, "That's it," mm. you know, because I felt was, I did feel it was an amazing ride. And I like the backups were great, and I really feel it was building to something, and then I just felt it didn't get there. Yeah, I, I felt my answer questions were answered, and I was I, that Gabriel had been established. It had been established over and over again that I cannot fight this man. Mm-hmm. They will lose. They did lose, and he just flies away, and they can't touch him. And I'm like, well, that's good. Now it sets it up for something else. But in terms of what the story was, this story was establishing Darwin, um, revealing a secret about Xavier, and then resolving the third summer's brother. And it did all those things. And it also mentions Krakoa several Krakoa. times. Made Amber happy. Now, um, yeah, Trevor Harsine. Yes. I love him. Yep. I love him in Ultimate Nightmare. Yeah. This is a nightmare story. It certainly starts off very strong. I agree with that. It's Extremely very creepy. Extremely creepy and dark. This came out around November 2005, okay. which is post-Halloween, but in that era where, you know, things can be spooky. Um, you know, hands coming up out of the ground to grab the... Uh, yeah. um, the, the vessels or attach right. them. And it definitely had a creepy vibe. Nightmare um, um, phantoms that are haunting the X-Men. They don't know why. Elements of their past. Um, Kitty's in the mirror at one point and sees behind her Colossus, but he's a zombie Colossus. And then she turns around and, oh, it's it's not what I thought it was. Yeah. Because this crazy backlash of what's coming. The foreboding, mm. foreshadowing of this dark character who has been essentially dead for years in a coffin in space. Yeah. That was brought back to life by House of M's resolution. Yeah. Um, so it what came from a story I liked it was around the same time of Joss Whedon's um, Astonishing X-Men and it stars those X-Men that was just on cloud nine at this point with X-Men next one up uh, Astonishing X-Men what First a surprise all, gifted I had so, to put it on I don't know what I'm going to do with well, my we, surprise we all agreed though Whedon Cassidy oh, was like the best yeah. X-Men team and so I love Joss Whedon I and this I was leading through it this is Cassidy's some of his best art of, of all time the colorist is is amazing. The it's ever this is really really good. I agree with that. No, it's very solid stuff. It, it it's very. Uh, well, I like also that it was just very. It was superheroes again. Yep. Which was nice. Um, and the cowl on Scott Summers. Yeah, we all love that. I do love the cowl. Yeah. I hate back, the cowl. It oh, really? Quite frankly, it like brought that. back Colossus, which didn't that... didn't need to happen, but it did in a meaningful way oh, that no. I didn't care. This is like the whole thrust of why this is my favorite. Uh, my favorite arc of Astonishing is, is because the emotional return mm. of Colossus and that kitty's there and I'm getting choked up looking at the panel right now because it's just so beautiful for both of them. Oh, it is. I'm not saying I didn't love it. I just think they didn't oh, need Whedon. to in My any way. Strings. If it wasn't Whedon, I, I, I would have been it happy if they, wouldn't have worked. if they never brought him back. If yeah, it was Ellis, well, yeah. <laughs> it'd be sarcastic. Well, you know why? It's because Whedon... <laughs> Because Whedon, even it's interesting that Whedon had just started working with Cassidy, and yet he trusted his his artist. Because there's a oh, lot. He sp- I remember the interview, and heart. he spoke so highly of Cassidy. He said Cassidy is like a, a, a cinematographer and a director in one. I trust this man more than anyone. Because, especially because this is, I mean, he's written like Frey comics, right? But like, this is his big first, X, this is an X-Men book that mm-hmm. someone's always wanted to do. He loves Kitty Pride. He's going to be able to write it. And he shows, rem- he shows remarkable and amazing restraint. Because he doesn't overwrite it. And there's, especially with X-Men, there's a long history of people being so excited about what they're writing and they overwrite they the characters. They probably get to do X-Men. There is, yeah. a, there is a strong chance we're giving Cat, um, Whedon too much credit. And Cassidy actually mitigated him and said, you know what, I see what you sent here and it's great. 
what if we just made this two pages instead of one? You know, I love them both. You're right. So. It's, it's very possible. I mean, you can't... But what has Whedon done that you're like, oh, that's bad news, Whedon? Nothing. This is, strong, <laughs> this is stronger than Frey. Yes. Yeah. That's fine. And the, because I, I think one of the reasons might be the penciler wasn't as good. We talk about Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale all the time. <laughs> yeah. Tim Sale is the only thing that saves him from bankruptcy. Um, oh, that, uh, that, sure, that story we were looking at, I think, a week ago when we were talking about Cyclops and Phoenix, there yeah. was that, that black and white or like dark color. Yeah. It was by Tim Sale. It was by Jeff Loeb. He did write that. Yeah. So that's an early collaboration of theirs in like 93 or 94. Now, I don't think... This is as mismatched as that collaboration. I think that Whedon was definitely the lead here, but I think Cassidy probably brought a lot to the table. Oh, yeah. I'm not in any way yeah. trying to... I mean, that that scene with him running through Kitty would not be oh, as strong. Oh, her heart? Yeah. Yeah, it would not be anywhere near as effective and as emotional and kind of emotionally manipulative in some ways, but I mean, because it's, it's getting you to feel that way, but uh, yeah, exactly, you, you don't care. You can kill characters and bring them back all day and write them as well as Part this. of it's also like the colors are so... Like it's so... The red light... Yeah, it's just red, and it, it's an interesting way of, of portraying the action, because it kind of abused the... If this had been non-colored red, would it have felt the same? I don't think so. I, I think the red really does something to the I scene. I think the facial expressions are... are but if it was all so lights... So good by Cass- Yeah, if it was If it was just a lit light- room, would you feel, feel as... As dire as, as and like, I think it would because for me, part of the hit is just like what they're doing and the hmm. the dialogue, especially when he when he sees her and the he red thinks he's to dead me, finally. The red to me makes, makes yeah. me stay with that for a second. The dead, yeah. Like he's like, am I finally dead because she's there? Yeah, because this is all he wanted for so long. <laughs> See, we, um, I, that was very sweet. She just waved. I don't know in our myself. in our female appreciation day why that happens when there's a, a strong emotions and they fan themselves. I think it's adorable. My wife does it. I don't want to be condescending or demeaning at all the women, but I think that was very. Which is interesting. To kind of go with the idea, of like you know, when I did it, I found the red claustrophobic, which was I think worked for the scene because it was a very intimate moment. Very, it's a tight space. It's very brutal and violent, but then he just he breaks down. And I thought the red helped make everything seem a lot more intimate. And, and I, there was less room to breathe. And it's also a very intense color. Yeah, it's a very yeah. intense very color. Strongly so, emotional color. So you feel this emotional emotional claustrophobia. And that's that's, that's that. the choice of the colorist. I don't know if Josh wrote in his script. Make sure make sure it's a red the colorist room. Is. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Red. Like that's a bold choice, though. I feel like there must have been some sort of direction because yeah. that's such a bold choice that colorist wouldn't just do that on the. But own. that happens well, a lot in this a series. Whole, the colorist like, is pretty underground good base, oh, yeah. like me, like this is almost like a green tone. Well, sorry, here. what was that sound effect that you just used? You know, underground base. Me, me, me. <laughs> Prisoner escaping because the voices are always British. There's no onomatopoeia um, though that would suggest it is going meet me. Yeah, there you go. I like how but, basically but you can't you should, one of the best things about comics is that the reader brings a lot to the table yes. so when Amber read this there was a meet meet yes there was what I find is interesting and it faded into the background and there was a single violin because Joss Whedon was directing it <laughs> what, I, what I like here is that classical music was playing yeah. over the meet meet he does that all the time in Firefly <laughs> yeah. you've, been, you've been flipping through this and it's interesting how many times you've just flipped through this even as we're going you just come back to those because two pages because it's my favorite scene in, like, uh, I'm actually surprised. it's my second favorite scene in X-Men what's the first ever. one you'll see Oh, in I'm my s- next issue. Okay. If you open the book, I feel like if you open this book, it'll always... <laughs> if you, like, open drop it, it, that's where I just sit there yeah. crying <laughs> over the scene. Like, I think it'll just... <laughs> thumbprint so is embedded. Yeah, I think... It, it actually does. <laughs> <laughs> I think your book just knows that this is the spot. This is what I want to see. Every time I pull it off the shelf, I'm like, oh, there The it only is. thing that really made me disappointed about... The only thing that I didn't like about uh, this run... Easy now. Hold on. Careful. I'm okay with this. I'm not, I'm not upsetting anyone. It was the alternate cover to issue four, I believe it was, or three or four, 
the one where Colossus comes back because I remember he wasn't on the main cover. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, and then at the comic book store, they had the ultimate covers on the wall and it had Colossus' face there. And I'm like, well, thanks a lot because we're wondering. Spoiler. Yeah, it was a major spoiler and yeah. it was just on the wall. And I was just disappointed because that's the big variance and the people want to see the variance, but it gives away a crucial plot point because I would have liked to have been able to read this and then be like, oh my God, it's Colossus. Instead, I kind of knew he was coming. Because I had seen Because, yeah, he was on the cover. So, again, that's the only thing I don't like. If the only thing I don't like about this storyline is an alternate cover, I'm okay with that. That is acceptable. Amber, how'd you like Ord as a new villain? I liked Ord. I like that he was vaguely ridiculous. <laughs> I like him more because of what happens later with Ord. Yeah. I think... And, and this... As he was very new, fearsome. If this is all we ever yeah. got from him, though, I'd be like, eh, very boring. But I'm always very worried when they introduce new villains into X-Men because, like, like um, Vulcan was fine. Ord was fine, but it could be, you know, some random team of super mutants that they can't defeat oh, until the they Neo? can. The Neo, yeah, yeah, the Neo. That's or an extreme of. X-Men was, um... Gosh, what was what were they? Name? Vargas? Vargas, but what were they? Weren't they... Weren't they uh, whatever. Vargas? Were, like, some super <laughs> at his mensch? What do you, yeah. uh, what do you got there? This is, um... After the first panel where they have the first fight with Ord, where the little X-Dragon, uh, Lockheed, Lockheed, flames him in the face, uh, the last fight, where they have Wolverine's face... And he's about to fight all the X-Men, and Wolverine's looking behind him, and he, <laughs> he stops and goes, wait a minute, what are you looking at? There isn't a dragon behind me, is there? <laughs> and then Slick Colossus, Colossus punches him in the spine. That is <laughs> what funny. a great coup de grace. What a great comeuppance. It is nice to see Joss Whedon writing Kitty Pride because Kitty Pride was the basis for Buffy, so it's nice to see him finally being able he to He writes yeah. the best Kitty Pride I've ever read. He writes amazing female characters. Like, he does. He loves... His Emma is just sinister. I love her. He loves... I mean, he loves women. He loves empowered women. He loves yeah. empowered women. Sure. And he thinks that they're and really cool. And as a focal cool. point. And I think Joss Whedon um, is, he, a, is a great char- er, character writer for women in comics day or women in science fiction media generally. Yeah. I think a oh, lot of agent, ways, let's, He writes about Agent Brand. Too. He almost reads... Yeah, he Agent almost, Brand. I love Agent did Brand. Did she show up here first? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He almost writes women better than a lot of writer, women writers do. Yeah, he's, he's exceptional. Which he's is great. weird. As a woman, I'm going to say authoritatively for my gender. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. But I like Whedon's women a lot. I like how you immediately than... back down. Yeah, I can't. You're like, I'm going to do this. These other no, women I'm not. are not going to no, like I'm that. Not. I am too Canadian to make definitive right, statements. You have two minutes to talk about Abigail, Abigail Brand. Oh, well, I mean, I she don't know. She has green hair. <laughs> she and loves, sunglasses. She loves Beast. And she's an alien. Spoiler. <laughs> she's sassy. Good job. Yes. I do like that she was sassy. And I'm, she knows her place in the world. She knows her power, and she and she doesn't pack away from very powerful men. She Cyclops challenges her all the time, and she's like, "We're not doing it that way. That's not. Mm-hmm. This is not your show to run. This is mm-hmm. my show. It's great. Uh, it's interesting too how many elements from like that are still huge today. Like Kavita Rao. Yep. Pretty and the Cure yeah. storyline is still integrated very, into. She's with the X Club and everything. It's an X Men movie, the third. Yeah. Uh, uh, even Abigail Brandon's sword is a huge like yep. that's even been in the animated series. Oh, of she Avengers. was great in the animated series. So too. like yeah. he, he introduced a lot of ideas and concepts which have not just been limited to his run, which is, speaks volumes of, of what he's done. That was amazing. Special. Yeah, special. The first he, special special. And he never says it. That's the no. best part. He's no. like, how's your Two thro- words. What, what does he say? Oh, he said, oh, first of all, yeah. How's he your says, throwing arm? Uh, Petey, uh, you feeling rested up, Petey? And his response is, I am strong. And what then I just got two words for you, bub. Next yeah. panel, he's flying through the air. <laughs> and he throws him so hard, he almost misses the plane. Yep. And then Emma goes, you really have kept the chick. Which is a great Emma line, right? It's just checking out him from behind, his yep. traps, right? Yep. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's... Again, this is Josh Whedon... 
knowing enough not to not like he wants to do the fastball special, but he doesn't have to say it. No, nope, like have he to. shows restraint as a writer. And anyone because... who doesn't know, anyone whose first comic this is, you just go ask your friend. Hey, uh-huh. yeah. What what was the two words? Yeah, that's and then true. you get into conversation with a comic fan who's going to let me tell you about the fastball special. And then they listen to this podcast and they're like, I'm going to read Whedon's whole run. You should. And Cyclops and Phoenix, because more people should read that, and then they should put it out in trade, so people I can buy it. Yeah, people can't find it. That's the problem. People <laughs> yeah. will not be able to find that book. Like, you have your singles somewhere. In, in no, your I know. House. Yeah, they're at my parents'. So, I I mean, I and I snagged a, a horribly, horribly banked copy. Yeah. Um, yeah, this stuff is hard to find. Last word for me on Abigail Brand. I'm going to echo the words of Nick Fury. Yep, she's a pip. <laughs> That's what he says about her. And this is someone from the forties, well, because Cyclops is like, what Agent Brand has done is inhumane, illegal, and appalling. And Nick just goes, yeah, well, she's a pimp. And he's like, yeah, but and they just kind of cut him off. He's like, no, we're not having this conversation. Yep. Like Cyclops, you have no power here. This is my show. It's mostly Brand's show, though. Yeah. And of course, Amber loves uh, her love of furry blue monsters because yeah. she has daddy issues. Yeah, yeah, because uh, her dad was a furry blue monster. A blue monster. <laughs> uh, before, before we do move on from it, and I. I'm already going over my two-minute marker, but um, I just also really... First of all, I did like the very beginning of it. Professor with, Xavier is a jerk. Well, with Kitty Pride remembering things yeah. from past, as a fan of continuity and past it's X-Men history, so well. it, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. I also really liked was the uh, Wolverine, which stage of, which stage of grieving is this? When, he, when he's having... When he's just... First of all, that's creepy, and he looks like Spider-Man. Why is he in his bed? And his hair looks like his old original hair. Yeah. First of all, wouldn't he kind of break the bed? Like that's a oh, lot yeah. of very heavy. That's a Cyclops. lot of metal. He's a very sturdy write, bed. You should write Joseph well, Whedon. Okay, he's, he's banging a woman who can be made of diamond, right? So she's going to be very heavy if he's using a large rock. Y- yeah, but so she's probably not turning into diamonds in the middle like that of Wolverine, But they, she does because he can look at her. I just then. like that Wolverine yeah. is indirectly part of a new love triangle. He doesn't love Emma, but in this case, but he's, he's pissed fighting, that Scott yeah, isn't loving Jean enough. He's fighting for Jean's honor still. Yeah. Even though Gene's been dead. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, isn't there also a part in here after Beast and Wolverine fight where one of the kids is like, this place is awesome? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the faculty's that, fighting. After that fight, exactly. Which yeah. is very weird. And then they go to time out in the danger room, yeah. sitting on islands that are replications of Hawaii, because yeah. Beast got the scale wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just clever little details like yeah. that. It's true. I don't, I don't think it's this issue, but it's also a great um, Kitty Colossus moment when she falls through the floor. Because they're, After they're you reuni- reunited yes. and they're having that, that, sex, is that, is and he the makes first her time phase. Or just a reuniting time. I think the reuniting time. Okay. He makes her phase, and she yeah. falls through the floor. And I was like, ah, clever. All right, next clever one. Lead. What you okay. got? My last one is Phoenix and, and Song. And this is what originally a six-part miniseries yes. or four-part? Six-part. I think it was six. Yeah. Okay. It was. Greg not, Land. Not Greg War, Land. Not War Song. No, not War Song. War Song I enjoyed, but it was no End Song. Do you have that in trade as well? Yes. Okay. They actually have a combined version though. Yeah, but I like this better. Because <laughs> then I know? can look at all the lovely land art. Who's on artist? Oh, who's who's on um, story? It doesn't matter. It's land art. It does. It's Pack. Greg Pack. Greg Pack. Greg Pack, yeah. yeah. Greg Pack is a great writer. He doesn't write X-Men also. Specifically at this point in his also career, his early career, when he was doing Hulk and, and he kind of did this, this side series, he was also unbelievable. I think he's still it's good. It's interesting they credit by Greg Pack from Warlock. Yeah, he hadn't even yeah, done Yeah, he did that first. Yeah. he hadn't done yeah. Planet Hulk yet. I guess he was revving up to do it? I or guess. he was in the midst of it, and they couldn't credit it because it wasn't finished. No, I feel like it hadn't even started. Huh. This is pretty old. It's this hard what, to gauge. It's what, 2004? When, yeah. you're, when you're like six People or still liked Greg away. Land back then. People yeah. still like well, Greg actually, Land now. No, they don't. I do. You do, but I I'm saying... This is actually some of Greg Land's better work. But yeah, you know what? This is back when he was doing more artwork. What you can't see is that Amber is um, keeping her mouth open <laughs> and looks like she's breathing really hard. 
and uh, Wild Eyed being Greg Land character. The yes. thing is, he, there's a lot less of this earlier on. <laughs> he, see, nowadays he just swipes from his own stuff constantly, and he's started to be less of an artist and more of just replicating old stuff he's done. This is I back know. when he was still new. Like, I love him in Soldier, and like his Soldier is still one of my favorite comics, like action adventure fantasy comics. Like I love Greg Land to a point, and there became a point where like I can't stomach this anymore. This is a great place for him, though, because yeah. this is a throwback to the 90s um, soap opera comics. Yeah. yeah. And, and everyone me... is beautiful. Yes. Oh, his Jean Grey is so hot. She is the hottest Jean Grey, his, and it's the hottest his Emma. His Kitty Pride is and hot. His, his, his Kitty Pride is beautiful, <laughs> yeah. and the cuckoos like, are, like, like, like smoking. Look at that. Like, Jean Grey in her green Phoenix costume, like, damn. Cyclops yeah. is, a, is a freaking hot Cyclops stud, too, in this. Cyclops and Wolverine yeah. and Angel are Even Beast like, is like, oh my goodness, Beast. Like, random is... Shi'ar gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> But like and like everything is skin tight. Like yeah. you see the belly, belly button. button. <laughs> like there is no give. No, there's no imagination. Like, everyone for is those an costumes. absolute. These women are constantly readjusting these costumes to try to walk because it's no. They're there's never no give. camel toe though. So what's the basis of the story for those who do not know anything about this? Okay. The basis of the story is the Phoenix Force is hungry. It comes back to Earth looking for Cyclops. It reanimates Jean. Um, and do you remember why it comes back though? Because it's hungry. It's been a while since you read it. Um, the Shi'ar, there's a, a team of yeah, renegade Shi'ar, that they revive it. They were, yeah. they call up, it, it's in pieces. Oh yeah, they revive it and yeah. they reassemble it and yeah. then they're chasing it, it down yeah. because they need to, it so needs to be whole the, for it's them It's the Shi'ar, they screw yeah. it. And they're, the Shi'ar follow it to Earth. Yes. And, um, and it revives Jean and it uh, comes after Cyclops because his optic blasts are, are the power yeah. that it wants. It's power of the sun. And it, and it loves him. Because Jean loves yeah. him. And so it's pursuing him, and this is when Emma and Scott are together, and so you sort of get that insta-love triangle. And um, It's, em- it's own- Jean's own fault. Well, Jean's a corpse. She, she, yeah. I know, but she pushed them to be together. The white phoenix from the future is what made Cyclops get beyond his grief and be with Emma yeah. and, and keep with the school. Well, it's, because it's not what made him cheat on Jean. No, no, well, he'd already cheated on Jean. Right. I'm saying, I know, I know but he what wouldn't have stayed with Emma. Like, he would have left the school mid on his own, and that led to a dystopian future. Yeah, but then he would have met Madeline Pryor again. No, yeah. no. <laughs> yes, maybe. Had another son that he would but leave. But according to Morrison, that, that didn't happen, but so the Phoenix reached back in time, gave him a mental nudge so that he would be with Emma, and that's the the, the tragic part of what happens in Gifted, etc., is that no one realizes that Cyclops isn't really responsible for moving on from Jean. Like, he cheated on Jean, Yes. He was a bad man. Well, but it's not his fault that he was moving on and, and able to love Emma and not worry about Gene being dead. It's because Gene pushed him. So I just wish that was ever addressed. And they, it kind of happened, and then they never addressed it again. And it kind of made me sad. Yeah. Because it makes Cyclops look like more of a jerk. He's already a guy who left his wife and infant child to chase he, after his ex. You don't need to get any yeah. worse than that. Like I, that's, that's bad enough. Yeah. I know that's already horrible enough. But it's just like every every ten fifteen years they got to make him more of a jerk. Yeah, well, it's soap yeah. opera nature. Because he's becoming Xavier. <laughs> yes, we're, I, I want him to go bald. <laughs> no. Yeah, but like... Because usually he has luxurious hair, so no, just be bald Cyclops. Even the, the scene here where the Phoenix Force comes back and she's kneeling... The Phoenix Force has taken the shape of Jean, but she's all afire. And she's kneeling in front of Jean's grave and she's asking Jean to help her. And then Jean comes out and she's like, no, I'm still dead. Yeah. It's not time, I'm still dead, and she's freaking out because the Phoenix Force is re- reanimating her, and she doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then she comes to Wolverine, and he's like, oh my goodness, because uh, like, he still loves Jean, and he's the first person that sees her. And it's just this beautifully drawn, and the Shi'ar pursuing them, and you get some Scott and Emma romance going on, and he's 
he's picturing Gene while he's having sex with Emma. And but isn't the Phoenix there in the room with them? That's why he starts. Yeah, and he starts freaking out yeah. because like, and then I think I think Emma's doing it to him. Doing what? Or no, she's getting upset because yeah. she can see doing that he's picturing what? <laughs> the sex. No, <laughs> no they're asleep. <laughs> One thing I'm just thinking: like, would this story have meant as much to you if it wasn't for the Greg Land art? Yes. Yeah. Because the, the, I, I feel like the visual is so important to making this this work. They absolutely are, but I think... And I guess that's kind of true of most I, of them. It's really hard to say. I it's hard to say, yeah. I am so in love with the Scott and Jean love story. Okay, me that too. This, I love this them. was like the the conclusion to it, almost. The, yeah. Because this was like the last time Jean died. So this was this was billed as the last Jean Grey story. Yeah. Or the and, last Phoenix story. And so far, it's still the last Jean story. Yeah. Yeah. And Phoenix. everyone was worried that this was her resurrection. And they put the fears to rest in that panel when Jean is saying, no, I'm not coming back to life. This is yeah, wrong. What you're doing is... She says it's too early, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really good meta. But everyone yes. thought that, that um, Gifted was going to be the return of Jean. That was yes. the big rumor. Because oh, yeah, an yeah. X-Man was coming back. Well, yeah. that or that Beast was going to take the cure because they have that cover where he's holding the, the picture of Beaker. himself. Yeah. Oh. And I remember thinking, like... That they're going to do this. That's what issue four is going. To, isn't issue four the one? There's where so much speculation. On the there was so much speculation, and I remember being just reading the issues and being really excited. Me like, there's that cover where he's holding a little picture of what he used to look like as the Beast, and now he's this weird monster thing. Maybe he's going to get cured. I really thought so, and I was glad it was not that way. One of the moments that I really like in here, touching on what Amber was talking about before, um, Amber, I, I agree. My wife does seem to really enjoy the Scott and Jean stuff, um, but I do think that she is moved greatly by Peter and. And, and Katya as well. Yeah. And there's a great... I don't have the page number. There's no page number here. But when they go off into the Blackbird to go investigate, um, Colossus stays behind. And they blast off and he just stands there looking after his, I guess, girlfriend now. Mm-hmm. And then he just stands there in metal form and they, they, they blast off into him and he doesn't even move. And before he leaves, he says, Kitty, and she says, I'll be all right. And she reaches through the plane. And she touches him. Yeah, to touch yeah. his hand. That's so... That is a, these are what I'm talking about. Just the single panels... Very moving. There he's standing, looking after his his girl. Um, See that, that that would be something that Greg Pak came, came up with. You can yeah. bet that land. I don't think he did. Yeah, but this is the power of comics. It is this is more moving than it described in words. I think because yeah. you can see it and it's silent and it's even a in a movie that wouldn't mean the same. And I right. think it's more meaningful than a movie because yeah, because it's a captured image. Yeah, that it, this is the important point. And you, yeah. and you can this slow it down yes. in your mind. Yeah. Well said. Comics when they're done well show only the most important parts, and then you're in between the gaps, the panels, your mind fills in the rest with whatever yeah. you want. Plus, this can last as long as you want it to. Yes. So how long was this embrace? Yeah. As long as you think was important. Exactly. No, I agree. This, that's the, that is the magic of comics because yeah. you control the pace in which the story actually unfolds. And there you because see of how they use the gutters. Yeah. And right. this is this whole trade, this whole mini series is just like great, like nineties, like X Men, like Nathan said when they're at their best. It's soap opery. Everyone's in love and everything's emotional. <laughs> and it's true. And Beast builds a machine. Quickly, because he can invent stuff. Oh, and, yeah. And Angel is hot and blonde still. Is she never wears a shirt. Is she? Yeah. That's Green Phoenix right on the cover. Yeah, it's Green but Phoenix But there's an alternate with her in the dark, right? The red, you, is the variant in there? I do like how the conversations they have, too. Like, Wolverine sees her first, and they and Saw goes, what clothes was she wearing when you saw her? Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. what happened to you? Well, she burned me. When she burned you, what was she wearing? Golden golden red. And oh, Kitty's like, huh? And he's like, that means dark Phoenix. Yeah. Um... Now, did you like Warsong as much at all? I did like Warsong. It felt very different. It was a very, very different thing. It was it, still packed, though, like, right? I think it was still packed. It was packed, but it the yeah, art was, the art was, was a very different. Was, um, a, yeah. a Turner clone. 
That doesn't help. Um, appreciate it. It, wasn't, yeah. it was like it was more like Billy Tan who was her turn. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes yeah sense. that's who. Yeah, it might not be Billy Tan, I just, but it was but like someone like that. Was, no, was, I gotcha. Yeah, it felt very. It was very, very different because it was like a, a. This was like an emotional story about it's just Phoenix really and the X Men, and War Song was no. like about cloning cuckoos. Yeah, like, I almost feel like they shouldn't have published them with such a similar name. It was, it was still about the Phoenix. I think That's the name. Think they did. And they, well, yeah. they came the out like this, sequels to each other. The last panel of this is one of the cuckoos in her eye is the phoenix symbol, and she says what, something like, "What took you so long?" So it is yeah. trying to tie. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. trying to say that no, it, it came to that because they're that, powerful psychics. One of the things that Amber and I were talking about before the podcast was uh, this is the story where you finally get um, inside Emma's mind and you see how she feels about Scott mm. because up yeah. to this point she's the deceiver, and he asks her, "Do you love me?" And she says, "Of course, I love you, Scott." Yes, love. Yeah. At this point, the phoenix uh, possesses Emma, and it says, "I can feel her love for him. She loves him like the like the red dead, essentially, or like like, yeah, like, like Jean. Jean does. So they both it's love confirmed. Him. So you it's, now have it's a third party. Yeah, and you, you <laughs> see Emma's mask. The impartial third party. <laughs> well, a crazy third party. <laughs> Has but said. certainly, and then of course there's that moving scene at the end where now this is a very Japanese, right? The Everybody. power of all her friends. Yeah. Brings Jean back out of the crazy. Right? Yeah. They channel their love And she becomes her. White Phoenix for which, the only yeah, time Which is ever. very, very Japanese. Yeah. purified. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. But still. But it was it's, still it's, a great scene, no, no. and it was a great splash page of all these X-Men and all these like little cutouts from Jean's but past. It, it reminds me, not, not necessarily in a good way, of the uh, how they copped out in Dark Phoenix in the uh, X-Men animated series, though. Oh, when they took a bit of all of their essence yes. in order to save like, her? It's very reminiscent, yeah. but, uh, it mean, but yeah, this actually means more. Because you see something that you couldn't do in an animated show like that. And I that. do like how Emma is thawed by this. She says, oh, like, my God, you are loved so much. Yeah. How does next, it feel? She'll yeah. never be loved that way. No, no right. she won't. But so this, I, I just want to say, this is the, the trade with my favorite moment in all of comics. Yeah. And it's the moment where Jean takes Wolverine to the Arctic. Hmm. And asks him to kill her over and over again. Yep. And he does. You okay, and, and she says so something <laughs> to the effect of, again. "How many times do you think you can do this?" And he says, yeah. "As many times as it takes, Genie." It's interesting to come back to what we were talking about last week in the AVX. You know that he's had this experience already, so that when Hope's like, "Are you going to be able to do yep. this?" and he's like, "Yes," yeah, because yeah. he's done because it already. He's done it to many the woman he loves most. Yeah, <laughs> when when I asked you to go to the moon, you go to the moon. You go to the moon for her. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is also, I think, you mentioned the only redeeming part of um, X three, right, Amber? Yeah. Where they copied this and they... They copied this in X3 and that was the best moment That of was X3. the only good thing about X3. Yeah. Well, then... Yeah, that was really it. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a couple of things I didn't mind there. Like, I, I liked the... Although it didn't work out well. I did like when uh, when Cyclops went to find Jean and then everything started floating. Yeah, that was kind of cool. That was kind of neat. Well, that was but then, special effects. But then yeah. he died and it was over. <laughs> yeah. Because I actually... Uh, I remember watching that and being like, this is kind of cool. I like an unhinged Cyclops... And then it just went away. Yeah, that's really emotional. Just showing the panel to us now. Of the, yeah. of it's, the multiple it's, panels. It's nicely done because... panels is that? It's a lot of... Seven by three, so it's 27. 20, yeah. 21 panels. 21, sorry. My of, math is not clean. Of, Although, this is one panel, And then, panel, like, though. a mini panel. And so then I think the, the top of the next page, where he's just sitting in the snow next to her, waiting for her to revive again yeah. so he mm. can kill her Covered again. Covered in her blood. And he's got, like, his hands up to his face, and he's, yeah. like, crying, and he's upset. And she comes back, she's like, now I'm in charge. You don't have to kill me anymore. Yeah, he actually killed the gene in her and left the phoenix. Yeah, very But that's all Wolverine can ever do, right? He can just, just cut. Well, right. no, it's now Jean's in charge, so no. he's weakened the phoenix sufficiently. No, doesn't she say right there that it's it's a phoenix speaking? The gene is. You less. did well, Logan. She's so much weaker now. 
Who's she's she? The Phoenix. Right. And now she's green. Or is it Jean? And she says, now I'm in charge. And she goes through the ice. And then what she do? She goes through the ice. And hides? Yeah, she's trying to contain oh, the Phoenix. Jean. And then the Phoenix leaves her and oh. goes and finds Emma because okay. Jean is forcing her out. Huh. And then the Phoenix is surrounded by these hot men and doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the All Phoenix right. is confused. Let's move on to... Women. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's move on to women. Although we've been talking a lot Phoenix about X-Men. Phoenix straddles Cyclops. Well, <laughs> we have a lot of really good female moments here. No, with we Kitty did, and, yeah. and Phoenix and Emma. All right, so X, uh, so women. Women okay. in comics, women characters. Does somebody else want to start? No, I'm we'll start with you. Adam's a... Um, We're going to so start with you, Amber. Because <laughs> you're the definitive voice we've already heard. Wait. Yes, I speak for my gender on all comics. Ever. If we knew any other women that read comics, we'd get them on the podcast. But wow, so basically um, you're saying that Amber doesn't matter. Actually, we would throw her away. I, I know other women that do read comics, but not as many that read Marvel. Like Amber is very eclectic; she reads everything. Whereas yeah. I know someone who like oh, I like Strangers in Paradise, or I like Scott Pilgrim, but not no, everything. Yeah, I get yeah. to that. So I'll, I guess, can I do my introduction of overall my impressions of a woman who reads comics? Or you want to save that? Uh, do comics first. Go ahead. I, right. I guess. Um. So I am. A person who is female who reads comics. Well, I didn't um, know that yeah. part yet. Period. But that's but it. generally a, real, but, a well-rounded person. But yeah. yes, but I have other interests. <laughs> Besides <laughs> being yeah, female, no. But um, <laughs> I read I read a variety of comics. I read um, Marvel comics. I have the occasional DC uh, issues that I like to pick up. I like to read Which a lot those? of. Which are those? I Sorry. like Teen Titans. Oh, that's right. Okay. Really. You and, like Jeff Johns and, Jones, Batman, and Jeff Johns, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, because you know, because I don't think of you as being a DC fan at all. Yeah, so. I'm not really a big DC fan, but I have justified reasons because I'm aware of what's happening in DC at least. But I also like to read. Um, Take that, DC. <laughs> she yeah, hates. She hates I like you. DC Vertigo. You're okay. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. leave her fables alone. Yeah, I love fables. Um, I like to read Hellboy, and um, I like to read a lot of comics based on my favorite video games too, because. I'm, I'm a sucker for tie-in. Um, to which company in particular? <laughs> Bioware. There it is. There's yeah, the shout there out. Yep. We, we um, need a sponsorship right now. <laughs> Tip of the hat. Uh, Powers <laughs> is one of my favorite mm-hmm. series as well. Yep. Um, so as far as independent comics right now, I'm enjoying a series called Morning Glories hmm. um, about you know unusual teens with strange abilities. So it's out of boarding school. It's a little X-Men-y, but, yeah. but far yeah. more sinister. You like, um, you like Demo. Like I said, yeah, Vertigo. Yeah, Demo. Kind of. Is Demo Vertigo? Uh, it became Vertigo. It became for the second... For the second one. The first and volume was like IDW, wasn't it? It wasn't IDW. It might have been. It was someone else. I think it was. Yeah, it I was, think was right. IDW. Doesn't that feel weird, though? Doesn't it look like an IDW? Yeah. It was independently brought to them, though, because when they did the reprint of the first volume, it was by Vertigo. Yeah. I think it was ATI or something. Maybe that's what it was. Something weird. It no, was I not a real... buy it. Just guys, guys. Like yeah. anyone who's on the fence, go to Amazon and order a copy. Yeah, yeah demo, De- demo is was fantastic. Demo two wasn't as good. Yeah, but it was I, still, I enjoyed it was them still both, good. Yeah. But it was you not. read them? Yeah. yeah, the black and yeah, white. Yeah, he read it eventually. Those are very nice. Thanks. And Becky Clunan. Um, yeah. Yeah, woman in comics. Yes, she's <laughs> great. A... Great female artist. Yeah. So I I do have a very eclectic reading list, and I read a lot of comics and. That is not widely believed when I meet men who read comics. Yeah, what did your husband do? Um, you know more about comics than a lot of men. Yeah. Um, this is when I when I met Nathan. Uh, we met over a Daredevil t-shirt, actually, in a writing class, because I said I like comics, too. And I said I'd like to go to a comic store, because I just moved to the city, and I didn't know where anything was. And he said he'd take me, and he brought a packet of Marvel trivia cards... And quizzed me Not the first on the time. bus ride on the way down. Not the first time. I, um... I think we were dating when I had the cards. 
But no, I think we I, weren't. It was the it was the first time you this took me to your comic book store, and you're like, "Oh, I brought us something to do on the bus." <laughs> so at the time, I thought it was just like an entertaining diversion. Uh, but he told me later that he thought, "Oh, you're just a girl who said she likes comics, so obviously you like manga, and that's the only thing a woman could ever conceivably read." I like that apparently you are a giant I'm asshole. I'm so sinister in the story. Very no, evil and like very She's saying all this with a very big smile on her face. So I think it's... But, um, the smile does not carry over. No, she just sounds mean and angry at you. It's the kind of thing I encountered frequently. I remember being in high school and having a conversation with one of my male friends about X-Men. And I think I was being pretentious, and I called Wolverine James because Origin was coming out at the time. And he's like, his name's Logan. Oh. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not. He's like, I think I know what I'm talking about. So, Because um, I watched a cartoon once. In, yeah. f- in fairness, I'm very pretentious, not always meaning to, but like not just, just any other comic. Anyone else who says they like comics. In my head, I'm like, I don't yeah. know if you I, I do. Think, I think we all are. I, think I, I do that, it's too. It's horrible. I, I try not to say anything about it. Like when I first, but I do it without gender. Like when, <laughs> yeah, me either. Yeah. I, I, I think it's worse for Amber. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's obviously always going to be worse because people are going to expect you to know even less. Like, if, if you meet someone in a comic book store and you're like, yeah, I'm here to get comics too, they're going to be like, oh, you're there for girly comics. Like, it's unfortunate yeah. that Would that Would you is... like the new Bone? Is that yeah. what you'd like? Yes, I would. Want me to give you Bone? Want some Archie? She's like, is that sexual? Excuse me. <laughs> How like, dare no, you? No, no, and then pick it up Bone right here. Yeah. But I know what Bone is because I'm aware of comics. Yes, too. but, you know, that does happen. Like, when I first met Paul... I, I heard that he liked comics, but I don't know what that means. Yeah. So, I, and you got to tread lightly. And then with Heroclix, I would beat people who didn't really know about what comics were. Yeah, they pull the characters we, and but, they don't know But that who doesn't they happen are. with other media. It's like, oh, he really likes TV shows. No one goes like, we'll see. How many have you seen? Yeah. yeah. When was the <laughs> pilot for Cheers aired? Like, oh, you don't know? <laughs> like, no one does that. Nin- 1982. Or she reads a lot of books. Oh, yeah, she likes to read? Oh, that's good. So oh, people do, do, you, do that, though. Do you read? Yeah, well, they're, like... They're yeah, but it is wider. Do they the, test? Yeah. I don't think they do unless you're on a round it's, table in a, in a university classroom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, like, certain pretentious books that yes, they ask about. Yes, each other. But, but with comic books, yeah, it's such a weird subculture it's that... It's so elitist. Like, even yeah. video games, they don't go that far. Yeah, video games are... Well, they're are much got better than they used to be. Well, then it also breaks right. down by because console. Because now, now half When someone tells me they play games, I go, oh, yeah, you play COD? And they'll go, yeah, I play COD. Okay. Yeah, what else do you play? Really well, games. I mean, I play some Madden, and then I kind of yeah. go, yeah, so you don't really game. Yeah, sports and shooters. You could say the same thing about me. I play Call of Duty. I play, but like, not, MLB but and no, NHL. Adam, you play a lot of different things. Yeah. Now, a lot of it is comic book stuff, but yeah. still. <laughs> yeah. Um, the fact that you have uh, downloaded and played some of the You can identify that... more consoles than the current generation. Sure, but he also <laughs> plays some games that are award-winning games before they win their awards, and he's just curious. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's how I first played Uncharted. Before I even no one really knew about it. Yeah. It was just it was bundled with it. Yeah. So, so no, no one had ever talked about it. It was well, a year and a half before Uncharted Two came out. And yeah, no, you're right. I think it's that whole area of like nerd rage possessiveness. When somebody came up to me at school and like it was another girl and she's like, "You read comics? I just watched X Men First Class. What's up with Xavier and Mystique being brother and sister?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And someone on the bus talking about Avengers who clearly doesn't understand Avengers and like how dare they interfere in my media when they don't get it. But I think we are very possessive. Yeah. It is interesting. Like, we're we very get, possessive. We get angry about it. About it. And yeah. I feel that and you, hear, you hear someone be like, yeah. "Well, Captain America was with the, was with an original Avenger," and someone's like, "Yeah, uh, he was. He was the first Avenger. Yeah, I no, saw that movie. He wasn't actually." And then you're uh, in the side the like, "No, he didn't trio. come in there till later." And they're like, they're having an argument of something that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting <laughs> yeah. though that we kind of become the bad guys in that scenario. Like, yes. we're, the, we're the pretentious assholes. We are. 
yeah, who won't allow them. There's no that. place for elitism in something that you love. I know, but like we love it, and we want people to love it on our same level. The smaller the fan base, or the smaller the the, the niche that enjoys something, the more defensive they'll be over. This it. is yeah. true. And so comics are constantly at so, their back up against the wall. Like I want to share comics. I want people to love the characters I love. But as much as I want them to, but you watch, want them to love them right. Yes, the way I full understanding yes. of why yeah, kind of ever since and Seduction that's... of the Innocent, when the government came after comic books and comic book readers, we've yeah. been very defensive. No, yeah. that being said, I think I've lessened a little bit, especially like with Avengers coming out. I've kind of been able to accept that you know the minute it becomes a big movie, it becomes it's not just my culture anymore. You know, it, it, like as long as see, like, there's that possessive. I know, I know. It's a culture you live. It's not your possessive culture. Yes. But we yeah. have this you are tendency correct, to do that. But I feel like I live in I live in comic books. I yeah. try to do podcasts about it. I, I write about it comic books as much as I can. I try to make it as much a part of my life as possible. And now pieces of it get co-opted by the mainstream. And that's good. That's fine. It's just it's weird when it's somewhat oddly and subtly perverted. Like, I love that my sister-in-law loves Avengers. She doesn't really like comics. Her husband buys comics. She doesn't really care. She's like, Kelly will knows a lot of the characters, and I give her a lot of credit for knowing a lot about my love. But She may not share the love, but she can appreciate it, whereas April doesn't really care about a lot of Paul's stuff in comic books, but she loves Avengers. And when they, they got it on, like, they were celebrating, like, their, I think their dating anniversary when Avengers the movie came out in Blu-ray, and she was so excited to watch it again. And, watch, and she's just like, I want to watch this every day. And I'm like, that's pretty amazing. It's not what, quote-unquote, the Avengers I might be reading normally, but I love that at least it's become part of her culture. So I'm trying to let go of being a pretentious douche. But it is hard. But that, that pretentious douchebaggery... I think exists with all of us and mm. I think is hyper projected against women. Sure. Yes. Cuz if you see a bunch of dudes in a comic book store with Spider-Man t-shirts on, no one's going to walk up to them and cre- question their cred. You're very true. As it were. But at one woman in there, You're right. they're looking down her top and they're like she doesn't know what she's doing. Or yeah, or they're wondering who she's with. Who she here with? Who's she picking yeah. up their comics for? You are right. Like yeah. although Kelly was always impressed wait. when people would be like, "Oh, what are you picking up?" and she's like, "Oh, I'm just picking up for my husband." She actually almost got the inverse. They actually, like, uh, one of the guys at the clerk... Because they're trying, at, right? Well, no, no. Like, they, they knew that she was with me. And he was like, oh, yeah, what are you picking up? Like, or do you, have you been reading this? And he's trying to talk to her about what was happening. He's hoping, crossing the, his fingers. In the books that she was picking up for me. Now, there's no real... Uh, well, there could be a little bit of hitting up. I doubt it in this case, because I know the guy needs... Like, he just... Comic <laughs> book nerds are not adept at hitting on it. No. <laughs> but, and he, but, and she was like, this is how I know I've been going too often. And now they think I read as well. But I also thought that was... That actually was... Impressive, because in most cases, that's not the case. It's not the assumption. But it wouldn't be the case the first time she went in. No, not the no. first time. And that's that's what I the think... The fact that it ever got that way yeah. at all is still impressive to me. Becomes our issue with, with women in comics is that you have to wait till you've been to a store so much that they know your face before they mm. will assume you're looking for something Well, for to be yourself. fair, one time you show up at a comic store as a female, they'll know your face. Yeah. Yeah. Did they know your face? The, the, well, <laughs> no, they'll the, know more than your face, but they'll know that a girl's been here. The games yeah. workshop for the Warhammer stuff, yeah. I went into one time to buy yeah. paints for my action figure mods. I went in three months later, and the guy is like, Amber, you're back! No, wait, that's <laughs> yes. creepy. That's creepy. Yes. He remembered my name. Did you bring your, your bear spray with you? <laughs> Oh my god! He's like coming any time. He's like, yeah. Uh, um, so well, yes, I, that's... but I think <laughs> and he's still got pictures of you that he's he drew from the camera. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. In a comic book store setting, I think that is yeah, it is unfortunate. You have to constantly women fans have to constantly prove themselves. Yeah, it is very unfortunate and unfair. And I wish I could say that I'm not like that, but I think it's always in the mind like. Are they actually into the comics, or are they just they, they just watch? Like, well, if I just met April today, and she's like, "I really like Avengers," 
Like, you like the like, movie. You like the movie, right? Like, yeah. I would kind of... And I feel well, horrible Well, that's what Nathan that. I said. I really like X-Men. He's like, you like the cartoon. I, I'd be unconsciously doing it. Like, I wouldn't necessarily... That I said. It wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't necessarily be the first thing I'd think, but it would be there. And it's, it's very sexist. And I don't... I just so I, I think part of it is being guarded against disappointment. One of the things, the reasons why I said that to Amber is because Ooh. I was so excited to meet a pretty girl at school who says she likes comics and like my Daredevil shirt. Uh, you could it, identify Daredevil. It, well, it helped. It helped that it says Daredevil. On yeah, the shirt. It's, it's the Joe Casada cover to number one, yeah. which I think is great. Anyway, um, and and I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want this conversation to carry on and get all excited. Like maybe this girl will go out with me, and we could go to a comic store. And like I have all these visions of like, oh my goodness, this would be amazing. We go to a con together and meet Brian Michael Bendis, and I have to stop it. Stop it. Hold on a minute. <laughs> she doesn't really like comics. These she girls the don't exist. She watched their cartoon. Let's okay. Let's find out. And then I go. Oh, so you know you're into manga, I guess, or, or Escaflone, and and she's like, well, actually, you know. And I, I told him I had a wizard subscription. Yeah. He's like, maybe she's legit. <laughs> and, and, and one of the things she said was, I in my small town, I couldn't get all the issues to Origin, and that's one of the things I've always wanted to get into. And I said, I had all the issues to Origin. You can borrow my comics. This will be a test. And she said, I would love that. And I went, this is like unbelievable because she's going to read the comic. It's not even just for show. Because she likes my shirt because she's faking it because maybe I'm just so dropped and gorgeous she wants to fake yeah. it to get with me. You do bring up a really good point though that maybe that's part of what it is unconsciously is that you don't want to be get excited about having yes. a conversation because like as comic book fans there aren't a ton of us and like I like re- meeting new people who like comics because I like having the exchange of ideas and discussing favorite characters and that's a lot of fun and then to have that also in your case be like a really attractive woman and you're like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> and, you don't, and you don't want that to go away and yeah you're, it's, kind of, it's an interesting you don't want to let your guard down you don't want to let your guard down because yeah. you, you might seem stupid and yep. they, and they because may be like, we are considered stupid and childish by the pop culture yeah. yeah so the men don't believe you like comics the women tell me I like comics in order to attract men. Really? And, yeah. you? Who yeah. told you that? I've had uh, several women. What like, caliber of men are you both, lowering your bar for? Both gaming and comics say like, oh, I see why you're really into it because, you know, it makes it really easy for you to talk to men. Hmm. And I'm like, no. True. But, it's true, but that is but not a reason to have a hobby. But ironically not, because yeah. the men keep challenging you on it. Yeah. yeah. The women, the, the men don't believe that you really yeah. could like it. So you're, um, you're kind of screwed on both ends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Whoa. <laughs> if you're into um, that kind of thing, wow! <laughs> if you're a female comic fan, and I think I think it is improving oh, with a lot of more women getting into nerd hobbies and mm-hmm. and uh, especially gaming, which as a, a lot of people cross over in that area, so it's getting better. Yeah. Um, and there's I, a lot more. There are a fair bit of female creators in comics yeah. too that help kind of uh, fight against those kind of stereotypes. There's still an uphill battle because there's still a very low percentage of, like, female people to, to, to male creators. And also just how many, like, female-dominated uh, books are there? Like, not as many as there Well, could how be. many people know creators? There are a lot of people who we know who read comics casually. Um, That's true, And too. they're like, oh, I like this book a lot. And, oh, who wrote it? I'm like, ah, oh, oh, I don't really know. Let me go check. That's fine. No one has to memorize every artist, but even artists in this media are not well known, even no. in our even in our subgenre. Yeah. No, that's true. But I think that that is changing generally over the last 10, 15 years. That well, Neil Gaiman and creators, Josh Whedon are known. Creators, creators yes. matter more than they ever used to because you'll find. And I was I can't remember where I was talking, who I was talking to about this, but more and more people read comics not based on the characters but based on the. The creators. There's, I knew. That's I knew a, someone yeah. who. Yeah, if you have a I was like, author. that's what I do. I knew someone who was like, "Oh, I'm picking up the new Gambit book," and I'm like, "Oh, why are you picking up Gambit?" And I was like, "Oh, I really like Zeb Wells and Clay Man." Okay, but that was the reason. Step up. Wait, Zeb's not writing that. I think he was. I think he is. Gambit. 
Clay's doing oh, it, but maybe Zeb's not. If maybe Zeb was doing it, I, I think would... it, No, I think it's Asmus. Okay, mm-hmm. it's someone else. But, Still... but Clay Man doing the art. So this guy would be like Clay Man. Thanks, that's why. That's why he's following that book. He doesn't even care about Gambit. So, But that didn't happen 10, 15 years ago. Well, you, well with artists you did. Yeah. You're seeing it with writers yeah. now. And generally speaking, there's McFarlane more... was a big fan. Gen- <laughs> yes. But now, you do see that more with writers now. People are like, oh, Bendis is writing it? I'm, I'm there. Uh, whereas, and it used to be artist-driven, now it's writer-driven. And there's, generally speaking, a little bit more female writers than than, than artists. It's really sad, though, too, because even in person, Amber's talking about gaming, but Amber does both types of gaming. She does tabletop and she does video games. Yeah. Video games is a little more, you know, anonymous. But when she's gone into Heroclix tournaments... She gets people kind of looking at her on. And I wrecked Ben Riley because of my gender. <laughs> he, wow. Yeah. Remember, do you remember this? Yeah, scale? yeah. that's right. He, he didn't, and he kind of. He put know, his entire you. team yeah. around my X Men turtle because he thought he could kill it because I wouldn't know how to play. Yeah. But, anyways, the, this was, an, was supposed to be an opener to say that, like, okay. the industry is improving. It is improving. And it's becoming more inclusive of women. And mm-hmm. the comic I brought today was, I think, well, cheesecakey cover the contents. This is incredibly cheesy. Who did this cover? J. Scott it? Campbell. Yeah, J. Scott Campbell. Was of it course, really? Of yes. Oh, are you still going to work? I can see it. Only a, a part of it from here. I it's, know it's J. So J. what Campbell. is it? Because we, we're it talking about it and no one knows Marvel what we're looking Divas. at. Marvel Divas. Okay. And this um, was originally a four-part miniseries? Yes. And who wrote it? Was it a four or five? Mm. I don't know. Roberto? Is it? Um, or Robert? Roberto Aguirre-Sasca. Who is actually one of the writers on Glee. Yeah. But this is a book that is female-centric. The main characters in it are all female. It's about women's issues. It was pitched as to Sex and the City in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And it's... Um, Not in a bad way, because that sounds very like, oh, they're just cashing in on a trend. Yeah. And, and they're not really going to care. a long time after Sex and the City, too. Yes, but it, but you can't look at it and divorce that idea. Like, it's very yeah. obvious that this is what it I like is. how the term they came up with for the... Uh... The, the Glamazons? The Glamazons, the more glitzy... That's existing term. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that stinks. I was excited. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you just ripped out his dream. No, I'm fine. I'll get but, over um, it. But it's a, it's a book that um, focuses on uh, Monica Rambeau. Photon. Photon. Pulsar. Pulsar, Captain Mon- Marvel. We'll stay with Monica Rambeau. She led the, she led the Avengers once. For <laughs> <laughs> so those who um, don't know, that's a reference to Next Wave. Which is also an excellent... Wave? Which also has excellent female characters, yes. by the way. Yes, yes actually it does. does. I should have picked that as my... You can She's still talk great. about it. Just because it's not <laughs> here. I just did. Yeah. Bye next wave. Give people the splodo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, and it has Hellcat and Black Cat and Firestar. And the mm. thrust of the, the story is that um, Firestar is diagnosed with breast cancer. That mm. she's given herself from her own Microwaves. microwave powers. Yeah. So, um. It's a very serious issue yeah. that involves yeah. a lot it's of It's a very serious yeah. issue that affects, like. I think it's like up to like thirty percent of women now yeah. maybe diagnosed. So almost so every like, household's affected. By yeah, it. so it's yeah. a huge issue, and it's like her struggle with that, and how they don't end up with like um, a Deus Ex Machina to fix it, because like um, Patsy tries, because Damien's her ex boyfriend to get mm. him to fix it. And I love how they always bring that up. Yeah. They don't let it know <laughs> that she dated the son of Satan. <laughs> yeah, they're constantly mentioning it, and it's funny because it's about their relationships and how it's complicated, and like Felicia's trying to start her own business, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know. Her her boyfriend's always offering her money, and she wants to be independent and not was take it. Puma? it. Yeah, yeah. Puma's her Puma boyfriend. Her boyfriend. Yeah. And um, it's cat themed. I love Puma. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and they're up on rooftops, being cat like together. I love rooftops um, too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Firestar's always mentioning how she was like engaged, uh, mm-hmm. and she still That's misses him. a sad him. story. Yeah. So um, very sad. Yeah. yeah. Where is Justice now? Uh, he was in Avengers Initiative for a while, and then he was in the New Warriors again. 
and then that's it. So okay. I'm, not, I'm not saying to write a women's story, it has to be about breast cancer and relationships and making it no, on your own. I was very, but there's still a lot of action. But in there's here. like there's still a lot of action and there's and there's fighting and there's like a lot too. of um, focus on female friendships. Yeah, which no, I think is is great for a comic because oftentimes it's like the female romantic relationship is important. The mm-hmm. the bromance is important oh, between yeah. the male characters and like you know you Danny Rand and, <laughs> and Luke Cage. At and... one point in Phoenix End Song, um, Kitty turns to Emma because they're having a tete a tete all the yeah. time. Yeah. And she turns to her and goes, "There's too many men on this t- on this team." <laughs> yeah. You know, like she's <laughs> exasperated by how many yeah. men there are. So the fact that there's like a, a female focused group and a female mm. audience and like even when they're like Nathan was talking about the Glamazons they're looking at like um, the Invisible Woman and Storm and stuff showing yeah. up at one of. Uh, uh, Patsy's book publishing events, and they're like, oh, they're like the glitterati of superheroes, and they're like lesser superheroes. Yeah. So, this is all true. And this is like it is very this true. is things that girl that girls do, and look at them and go like, because this is their world, and like we mm. look at other women and go like, oh, they're so obnoxious. Because it's an eclectic group us. too. Like I wouldn't have thought these four would be friends. Yeah, but, but they do it in such a way that it makes sense. Like I can see these people actually. Yeah, I don't think they've talked to each other before. But in this, you're right. It sounds it, appropriate. It feels yeah. organic. It doesn't feel like they just like. The, the tragic thing about this book is the covers because the They're covers so are cheesecake. the covers well, are cheesecake like this the interior art is yeah. my own because yeah. it's really good yeah it's, uh, Who's the Tonky Zong yeah I don't know Zong Jek or Zong Jek symptomatic of our culture yeah but wait like, wait, wait who did Harold's it's him too yeah it's the same artist but it's a different writer oh man that artist is really but, good but yeah cause like he's, the, great. But he's like almost Aja like like that first cover is so cheesecake so everything wrong with with illustrating women in comics, with looking at this cover, the contents are not what you'd expect. From no, you mean and fire exploding in the background and sexy ladies posing. Well, yeah. they do go to hell, so there is fire. But I, I feel like this is the, the the unfortunate thing with a lot of strong comics that have female protagonists and tell really solid stories right. is that Daughters of the Dragon. Yeah the, yes. yeah, the covers do not in any way show this, so a lot of people are going to pass by. And if this is targeted towards a female readership. Or I mean, it's obviously it's targeted for everyone, but obviously yeah. there's a bend towards people who like female characters. They're less likely to read this because this looks like cheesecake, like nothing. But they yeah. get the guys on it because the guys will pick it up at least and look at it. Because I get of their it's just it's their... so tragic though. Like if they had a, a, a like there's some better covers, and this this trade had an option to have like four or five different covers because they could have used any of the yeah, individual yeah, any of the issue content. covers. Because yeah, they have and like... they picked the most salacious one. Like with the most boob thrusting, <laughs> posing, how well, is she even standing? Like, at least she looks like she's floating because her feet are barely hey, touching the ground. At least she can stand. Remember that Catwoman number zero original picture I showed you, where it yeah, looked like Catwoman didn't even her, have a spine. Her anatomy yeah. was just wrong. Like anatomy didn't can't functionally happen. Oh, like, that's a whole other episode. The issues of women's portrayals in <laughs> comic anatomy books. and so forth. Oh. Like anatomy and actions and the emotion. woman in the fridge. Yeah. Google woman in the fridge. It's fascinating. Yeah, women women in refrigerators is an absolutely yeah. fantastic. Like it's kind of defunct. Did you send me that? Probably at one point. Yeah. I always thought it was fascinating. Gail Simone, before she was a comic book writer, was just a very passionate... Oh, it, was, it was like a feminist on YouTube that's like, look up women in the refrigerator. Yeah. Oh, that's I'm like, yes, feminist yeah. on YouTube. And Gail, Gail Simone helped coin the term, and it was long before she became a writer for comics. And it, it's fascinating how much of an impact she's had on the industry. Just through that, people being more... Uh, recognizing that they've been using women as, as ways to develop male characters at the expense of the character themselves. I mean, yeah. Gwen Stacy's a very big reason. She's one of the main uh, women in refrigerators. Because... Well, they, they were doing an interview with Emma Stone, actually, about playing a character who dies. And mm. she, not being a comic book reader herself, said, um, like, it's, it's difficult to play a character whose central aspect of her character is the way she dies. 
Mm. And that's, she's like, that's the thing she's most famous for, and that's a central aspect of her character, that you have to play her with a great awareness of morality, or mm. morality, mortality, yeah. because it's leading up to death. And I thought, wow, nobody ever says about Peter Parker, like, no. the central aspect of his character is that, like... Yeah, yeah she was caught something... in a fight between two strong male alpha characters. Yeah. That's her demo- and she died because of it. In the new movie, it's I, terrible. I mean, I know they wouldn't kill her, but I liked when he threw out the window, and I'm like, oh! Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I think I yelled next snap when <laughs> And then I heard someone in the back row say, um, I'm pretty sure that's how she died in the comic. Well, <laughs> right? And then yeah. I instantly, as a judgment call, I go, no, she didn't die that way. You want to turn around Just and like be an idiot. Just like when somebody saw Thanos at the end of Adventures and said, that's Hellboy. I'm like, uh, yeah. oh my goodness. No, but they didn't say it that <laughs> way. He really? turned to his yes. friend and smugly and shrugged smugly and went, said, Hellboy. Hellboy. <laughs> with his eyes closed, with a little nod. Like, that being said, that's, that, that is a core aspect of a lot of, of this niche fandom, is that a smug awareness. Even when we're wrong. Yeah. We're going to act like we're right, and we I don't think it. he was a fan of the fan, uh, part of the fandom. I thought, you know, he's just someone who Clearly saw the Hellboy he movie. Because oh. otherwise he would have known Hellboy is a dark but horse character. But he's trained character. to his friend. <laughs> yeah. so what else you got there? Um, so, these, so these like were your two favorite no, female stories? That's just, mine. No, this oh, is Harold's mine. Is yours. I only brought one. And Harold's is Nathan's. Oh. Well, no, no. Actually, I don't know. I wanted to talk you, about Harold's. You want to address next week? Because, you can change your because we were going to talk about favorite um, female creators. And yeah. that's why Harold is there. My favorite story with a female protagonist is actually underneath it. Oh. Okay. Do you want so, me to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. oh, yeah. we're almost like it's... Sorry. Yeah. Uh, before we leave Amber for the moment, um, I mean, it's hard to pick your favorite female character if you had to narrow it down to a field. Who would be on that list? Like anyone in Marvel Divas or does it just happen to be one of the best stories with female protagonists but there are other characters you yeah, like we're doing No, that just, I think that just happened we're, to be we're a good doing three things with female com- yeah, we're doing our favorite stories with female protagonists. We're going to pick a, fa- a, a favorite female character, not necessarily the, okay. the only one, and then a, a favorite female creator, okay. just so that those at home can, can know what we're doing. So Amber's was her story. Divas yeah. was my story. Yeah. Um, my favorite female characters, because I, yeah, I can't pick, well, pick I, one or two or whatever. I love Jean Grey, yeah. um, okay. and I know for a lot of her career, she was she was a woman in a fridge that she just did things oh, to... Have Cyclops have a purpose and to have men fall in love with her and to make the other X Men fight because she mm-hmm. had boobs and they didn't. Don't forget Xavier but, falling in yeah, love with her. Yeah, and Xavier falling in love with her. But um, I like what they did with her in Endsong. I like what they did with her during the Phoenix Saga and how she sort of took it upon herself to save the crew. And that, that, was, that nice. was a. Yeah. See, to me, that's a defining character moment for her that didn't end up with her dead. It ended up mm. with her more in power. Well, and, well, Dark Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, technically. Them, she, she was in a cocoon and shit. But, um, and interestingly. Under the sea. <laughs> under the sea. No, but also, um, what they do with her, even in. I know, I know it's not technically continuity, but within um, First Class. Okay. They give her a lot more personality in First Class. Yeah, for sure. And I like the way they write her there. And I just think that she is the most powerful mutant in the Marvel Universe. Okay. And, like, I know everyone's going to argue that. and like Someone at home is like, Quentin Choir! And you're like, shut card. up. <laughs> who is that? Which, that's Grant Morrison listening. Yeah. <laughs> or Comic Book Girl 19, who yeah. kind of doesn't listen to this. But okay. Yeah, she has his hairstyle. Um, but, oh, um, God. Yeah, it's kind of cool, but whatever. Okay. But she, she to me, is the most powerful mutant in the Marvel Universe. And to me, just as a very powerful woman, she's awesome. And she just commands respect. And she's like... Loved by all these hot men and feared by <laughs> galaxies and pursued really, by that one Shi'ar gentleman. It's, it's the hot men, though, yeah. really. Well, it's just Wolverine loves her, so I don't know why she keeps going back to Cyclops. 
but I love I like I like their their love story as a couple too, and hmm. she is an integral part of that. And there's something to the idea that I mean, basically, like they basically met in high school. They're high school sweethearts. Yeah, and that's their story. I mean, and Wait, are we talking about Xavier or Cyclops? <laughs> God, Xavier was fell in, in love school. with a teenage girl. Yeah, he did, and then just to pretend it never happened. Please. His douchebaggery began there. Guys. He may have slept with <laughs> her and, and, and read, erased her mind. Have you read? Yeah, yeah. sure. Because he, he may have made her sleep with him. Because he gave her then, mental blocks to begin with, so that she could. Have you read the original yeah. Kenny X Men? Yeah, it's I'm creepy. sure you have. Yeah, he's yelling at everybody all the time, and they're like, "Oh, professor, we just got back from a cat, from, you know, from the coffee bean." And he's like, "Cyclops, do your drills. Go upstairs. Beast, go make me a pancake. Angel, look <laughs> at this hoop." He's like yelling at them, and he's like, "You were 3.5 seconds too late jumping to that hoop. The pancakes are cold. Go upstairs. Go do push-ups." Like he's just always yelling at them like a taskmaster. He's horrible. Well, hold on. It doesn't help that 60s narration, uh, like dialogue, usually by Stan Lee was all exclamation marks. No, but the things he's saying to them are not teacherly. I know, but he's also screaming them. They're all the imperative. Okay. And then I'm going to go another favorite female character. Which one? Uh, Snow White in Fables. Uh, yeah, she's really, she's, really strong. She's another strong female, and I I like her... I like I, I like actually all of the Fables princesses. Like, Cinderella is like secretly a spy, and she's no. awesome. And um, not so much Rose Red, because she's just been sitting in a bed for like... She volumes. used to be awesome. She used to be awesome. No, but... Snow White, I do love her relationship with Bigby because it feels mature. Yeah. Like, Willingham is allowed the characters to grow and it doesn't feel like a forced soap opera. They actually, like, their yeah, marriage is very happy. they love and they got married and they have a happy marriage and they love their kids. And... That's rare in any kind of yeah. drama, yeah, dramatic like, kind of Like, because, things happen. they have other characters that can be dramatic around them and things happen, but it's not... The crux of the of the plot is not that their relationship has to be bad or falling yeah. apart. If they're fighting, it's about child rearing, like yeah. which is very like that's which is a legitimate emotion. argument. And they're not like, mad at each other, or like, like you know his dad and his family and what the impact of that is. Like yeah, they go through real issues, even though they happen to have a Zephyr as a child. Like yeah, they play in oh ghost. Yeah, no, I agree. I really like Holy uh, Abomination. Snow White is really <laughs> well written, and she's given so much room to grow. Yeah, because William's not afraid to let his characters grow. I always thought she would be like the primary main character, her and Bigby, and, and she then, was for a little while. And for a little and while, and then he he's like, on. you know, like, you know what? I'm going to play with other characters, and that is very rare in comic books. And he's great for that. For and people to do and that. He, and he advances his plots by years at a time. Yeah, no, he write, yeah he writes strong women. Yeah, because he's yeah he just he he's just having a ball the entire time. So. Yeah. And then hey Nate, hey how you doing? You want to talk? You don't like fables. Uh, I read the first volume and didn't grab me. I'm sorry. So okay, so we did your favorite. My my favorite character. Character trade and should I just do creator too? And just yeah, all at once. Throw it in. Sure. Uh, Who is it? Felicia Day, because she wrote a comic, so I can use her. Yes, <laughs> that's hilarious. No, I I get that. No, I, she she's a lot of fun. Yeah, she. What, what did she write? She wrote the guild. They did a okay. A um, she did a bunch of mini one shots for each character in the guild. Okay. And then she also had a prequel. Um, I think it was four issues. Okay. Um, that that leads up to the to the story in the guild, and she is is a, a comic book reader as well. So she had really good comic book pacing, and she knows okay. how it works. And yeah, I always wonder that because I haven't read any of her comic work, and I was wondering what how that would translate because comic books is a very particular field. Yeah, and not everyone makes it work. I mean, a lot of people have. But. And I'm sh- I'm sure her artist helped her because like she'd never written a comic before, and this was her first one. But who was the artist? Do you I know? don't remember. Okay, I'm sorry. I should have brought it, but. Um, like, her pacing was well, and it was well-scripted for a comic, and I guess okay. it, it translates scripting TV to comic as opposed to um, to prose writing. But um, she's generally... What's the f- gosh about Felicia Day now? She's a great woman in nerddom. 
And yeah, I she think is. that this is a good episode to highlight but, her. Then yeah, yeah. she um, she not only in in the gaming world and like with the guild, and she has like the the YouTube channel of Geek and Sundry that does like the Dark Horse motion comics really every week channel. and stuff. It's a great channel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, she's she's voice acts in a lot of video games. She writes uh, mm-hmm. the comics now. She she's very very instrumental in I think putting women out there in nerddom more and allowing women so. to be respected. Well, plus, she's very recognizable. Like, yeah. Because that's the thing. As much as there are she's, a lot of creators in comics and, and video games, etc., she's a she's become her own kind of cultural icon for the for the genre and and beyond. Because a lot of people are getting to know her who aren't necessarily in the subculture. Mm-hmm. So, the, and she's kind of transcended it. She's like, well, she's you know, kind of her generation, Stan Lee. Like, she's so well known. She's done so many different things. Yeah. And no one has any bad things to say about her. Because she just seems so infectious with her love for what she's doing. Yeah. Someone who's very pure of just loving what she's doing and had a chance to do. Yeah, and just she's working a, hard and she's happy to do yeah, it. Yeah, and just having a great time and wanting to put more into this kind of this, this culture that she's been that she loved growing up and being getting involved in. And then now she's a big part of it. No, I, and I don't think she's respected as a woman. I don't think she's popular, be, you know, yeah, despite being a woman. A, she's a woman who or, does, but she's yeah. popular because she's good. Yeah. yeah. And, and she and happens to be a woman, so she's a good role model. She's got great too. contemporaries like Nathan Fillion and Neil Patrick Harris and Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. Yeah. All people that she's worked with and whenever she does a project, she tries to bring one of them in and when they do projects, they like to get her involved and so they just have this fun time and the yeah. fans are just like, we're giddy. We're like, oh my goodness, Nathan Fillion is there. <laughs> we're so happy. We're like, oh, Felicia, you're the best. And, you know, <laughs> That's true. pretty neat. Yeah. So that that is, I I shoehorned her in because she wrote one comic, but that that is my favorite okay. female comic creator because okay. quite frankly I don't know a lot of them and I have guilt. Isn't that sad? Yeah. I mean, and that's not not just for you. I mean, a lot of people. Well, it's because like we were listing them, we're like Gail Simone. Yeah, it goes back to what Nate, <laughs> Nate, what Nate was saying before: is that really there aren't that many you can quickly think of. Like I was I was at a Hero Simonson. I was yeah, I was at a Hero Day with someone with some people yesterday and we we're just kinda of talking about it. I'm like, well what kind of female creators can you think of? And there's relatively few. Like yeah, there's the usual Gail Simone Amanda Connor. Amanda Connor, um oh, now I'm blanking on Martinez. What was her Who first drew name? demo? Alyssa Martinez, <laughs> Martinez, Becky Clunan. Becky Clunan. Um oh now, now I'm losing it. Uh so that Louis Simonson, Bobby Chase, a bunch more. Um, yeah, no, there there are a lot out there, and Anasenti is one. Yeah, Anasenti's a very popular. They aren't given yeah. enough credit, and there aren't as many illustrators as there should be. Well, they be. almost get as much credit as their male contemporaries, though. Yeah, I guess, well, <laughs> but... Slightly less, though. Yeah. Slightly less. There is yeah. a less, There's though. actually quite a few in editorial and in co- as colorists. We were yes. looking at a list, and there's plenty of, like, really good colorists, oh, too. Oh, Laura so. Martin is one of, like, but, is an award-winning colorist. But colors never get any kind of credit. It's sometimes... They win Eisner's. But in terms of, uh, at yeah, the comic book store... I know. I'm like, oh, my Who, goodness, my favorite color is color. Yeah. You know what? I would, though, because there's some, like, Maury Hollowell is one of my favorite colors, so it's Frank DeMarta and Laura Martin. And I remember when Laura Martin was doing Rouge back in early 2000, 2001... When uh, Crossing was coming, and I remember one of the biggest things about that book was how lush the colors were, and it felt real. Uh, Butch Guys did the artwork, and he was doing a good job, but really, it was about the, the colors. And I was I, like, I started to notice, especially when I started review comics more, I started noticing colorists. But before then, I had never really noticed. So it is true that colorists and inkers do not get the credit they deserve, and there is a lot of female colorists, and a lot of people in editorial who are female. Um, but not as many that actually write the books, and even less that illustrate. Uh, Becky Cloonan, obviously, with Demo. 
Nicola Scott's a really good one. Um, there's a few others I'm not able to think the of. The book I'm moment. looking at right now, uh, editor, Jennifer Grunwald, right? Like the, Isn't it can, Grunwald? Well, it's G-U, G-R-U with umlauts. Okay. So does that not change it? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know the full functionality of umlauts. Yeah. All right, let's move to you, Nate. Okay, I'll, I'll go the reverse order. Um, one of my favorite creators who wasn't at all yesterday, and then I read Harold's, is Catherine Eminen. Okay. I don't like her other stories, did but Harold's written really did well. Did you read her Hellcat story? Um, I think I read like a few pages of it. Yeah, it was was it good? Yeah, it was yeah. fun. I should pick it up. It was very off the wall, but it, it was just embracing zaniness and uh, having fun with it. I thought it the was... pacing was excellent. The dialogue was great. Um, I enjoyed the content. I mean, I don't really care about Frankie Ray, but the moments between the women in this kind mm-hmm. of a- a- echo how Roberto, Roberto did his work in Divas. It kind of feels like a spiritual successor to Divas. Mm. Uh, some of the characters are, are, are the same. Can I apologize for being an inadvert- inadvertent sexist? Because when I saw Harold's there, I thought it was yours, Amber. Like I, I bought it for, bought it for me because I know she liked divas. Still, I, like when I saw it in the list of the things we were going to be talking about today, I thought you I assumed it was. Mine. I assumed it was yours, and that's very sexist of me. And I apologize because, like, I didn't. Even... I didn't know. Now I'm judging you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Well, because that's why I, I was pointing at it before. Because I'm like, I thought for sure that was the next one. Like you were going to talk about it, and I didn't realize it was Nate's, and that's very sexist of me. Yeah. And I prejudged you. And I didn't I... actually like it as much as Nate did. Yeah. No? Okay. I mean, there are great moments. Like they go to a morgue to look at a body, and they all take turns trying to manipulate or get by this coroner who's in the way and jennifer walters walks up and says look i am um representative of uh, yeah, the deceased or, or someone yeah. involved in i'm a lawyer i need to get and see the body he's like well maybe you are maybe you aren't the, the the representative but i can't process it right now because it's part of a criminal investigation and then hellcat walks up and says look um you know you, you think i'm sexy you know like <laughs> uh, how about i go out with you or give you a kiss or something like that he's like well maybe no no i won't you know and then um monica won some money in vegas and she's like okay 50 grand what do you say 50 grand she's like, you can't bribe a public employee and then emma walks up and says amateurs and she just you know mentally <laughs> goes into his mind and takes what she wants right um so there's a very powerful woman here this is actually the most enjoyable uh valkyrie I've ever read because okay. in Secret Adventures she's just um, she she's, reminds me of she's Hercules. A hammer. She just does things. That's kind of how they write her in most cases, which is unfortunate. Well, yeah, she just like Captain America points at her to punch something and she does it. And this, she kind of is she's funny. Although you missed out on recent Secret Adventures, she has a bit of a thing with uh, Venom. She's turned on by him. That's uh, that's nice. For shame, Valkyrie. Well, no, because she he she hates likes people. No, 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 not no. For, the not new Venom. Okay. Flash Thompson is a soldier, and she appreciates the soldier aspect. Sorry, it's I'm Flash just, again. Flash is dumb. Yeah. Oh, I'm behind on my bed. Don't worry. Venom is nice. Sorry. sorry. Um, and wow. Then, and then it's a good book. There's um, another wrong. part in this where they, the, the central focus of the book is women um, who are, are trapped between strong men who are telling them what to do with their life. They have, like, like the main character, um, it's not, Francis, says, I have a lot to give to this world. I have a lot to offer this world. But in the beginning, she's stuck with a dead-end job and she can't go anywhere. And it's because of a series of different men in her life who have essentially just made her a cripple, mm. um, at least in terms of her ambition and what she yeah, can like do. Yeah, like an abusive father. Yeah. And, then... um, and Silver Surfer comes into her life, and they, in a science fiction notion, she says, he literally came, and when he touched me, I felt him drain away my ambition. He took my purpose out of me, mm. because he essentially um, de- deposits like part of the essence of Frankie Ray into, him, or into her and corrupts her. Um, and, and then 
Frankie Ray's her essence starts yelling at, at um, about Mr. Fantastic and Johnny Storm and saying, "You guys didn't really help me when you could have helped me. You can't, you know, Reed. You could have got me out of the suit that my father put me in, and you didn't. And Johnny just used me, like manipulating me with your love. And he's like, "No, that's not what I was doing. But from her perspective, yeah. all the men in her life have just forced her into not being what she could be, reaching her potential, which I think is a fear for a lot of women." Um, we were listening to the radio the other day, and there's that Katy Perry song where she sings about a girl who had it all, had the whole world, mm-hmm. and then she gets involved with this boy or this man, and then she, she loses her ambition. Um, and she loses her drive, and she becomes a shell of what she once was, which I think is a fear for a lot of powerful, successful, intelligent women that they, they don't want men in their life to drain them, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought the idea is in, in that. And so um, that actually isn't the story I picked about female lead, leads, but Catherine did a really good job, highly recommended. I'm going to pick up the Hellcat. Okay. Um, one of my favorite co- uh, characters also matches up with one of my favorite stories, Electra. Uh, I, I think when she's done very well, she's really intense and interesting. Do you like, like Frank Miller's original interpretation of her, or is like, um, yeah, like which? Well, because it's she's changed so much throughout. She her, has her history. So I like how she's introduced. Okay. Um, I love what Bendis did with her and his run. Oh yeah. Um, both, very minimalist. Yeah, but he but, made it. But that's when Electra is excellent. Oh, yeah. Um, so Murdoch Papers uh, was fantastic, and of course before that, what was it, Volume Four? Yeah. When she visits him on the rooftop. Yeah, it was during and, out, right? and he's freaking out, yeah, and he's trying to talk to her and she's like, We're not a couple. She barely says anything. It's like mostly the way that Malie draws her looking at him. He he draws her almost looking ro- not robotic, but like like cold. She's like, cold. She's dead inside. Yeah, well she is. That's that's what she is. Yeah, it, she she used to be full of fire. Yes. Something a tragic event and happened because in her of the life. Men in her life. Yeah, that because of the men in her life she became a cold hearted person. She's been manipulated and plus she's actually literally died. And, sure. and reborn, yeah. and but so, she's still this. So she's fascinating because she's a female character that were counter to female like stereotypes, mm-hmm. emotional and focused on family. Well, especially in the seventies, in the late seventies, yeah. like no female characters were like this. Yeah, like she's a she's a brutal. brutal she was assassin. not baking anyone a cake. Sure. Well, she might with point. Like now, <laughs> with with male characters like this, like when she first through... showed up, she was sorry, I apologize. She was using her side to cut people in the back of the like in their backs, like that's that. She was yeah. just killing people, yeah. like, and like that was brutal. She was a strong, brutal woman, but she did have a bit of a hint of vulnerability. She wasn't a whore or a prostitute, which is what Frank Miller does nowadays. All those female, woman. yeah, all those female characters now, or like even in Sin City, they're all he you know, loves him some prostitutes. There are variation of whores, prostitutes, or you know, someone like or strippers. Whereas this, but the, before he became the stripper with a heart of gold all the time. Yeah, before he started doing that, though, he was able to make a very strong female character who wasn't afraid to kick ass and was this um, damaged emotionally, but not in a way that felt artificial. That's what the death of your father would actually do to you. So please, I apologize. That's okay. Um, yeah, and I think there's a, a tendency with a male character who would have this type of history, this type of personality, to go, "Oh, he's so hardcore." He's stoic and he's dark and he's like super badass and all the things they say about these guys and like Punisher, like Punisher or cable? you know <laughs> certainly Cable or even uh, to an extent Batman because he's 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 crazy. Batman is a lunatic. Yes, I think when he's uh, when we understand that premise, we go forward and Batman pummels someone with his bare hands and leaves them bleeding in the streets for the cops to pick up because he's got to go chase someone else. Because <laughs> he's not Batman. Dead. No, he's not going to kill them. Um, we're That's like too he's good so hardcore. He's amazing. Same thing with Master Chief. Oh, mm. everyone loves... He has no face. He has no personality, actually. But everyone loves Master Chief because he's hardcore. Electra, there are sometimes when she's written with no personality and they leave her hardcore. Other times people go, that is not a realistic female character. And you go, why? Well, she doesn't show any emotion. Mm. I'm sorry. 
Is that like the most sexist thing you could say about a character? She has mm. to be concerned about her babies and, yeah. you know, um, crying? She doesn't do any of those things, but she does show emotion in this book. The book I'm talking about is Dark Rain Electra. Zeb Wells' Clay Man, my favorite creative team. If you do not have this book, go buy it. It is going to be harder and harder to find as the time goes on. I it's promise true. you this. Uh, it was passed over by a lot of people. The cover is actually quite terrible. Uh, cheesecake as well. Out. She's got her butt. It's got TNA for everyone. Yeah. My mom, who's very ultra conservative, uh, bought this for me for my birthday, and she went, um, "I don't know if you, this is the right one you wanted because you know her butt's there." <laughs> I had I put it face down when I was wrapping it so the children didn't see it kind of thing. <laughs> the, this the covers are terrible, but the work by Clay Man. Isn't that sad though? Like we both have picked stuff yeah. with such great female characters and really well written. Yet, if you were to just like if yeah if, if 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 Nathan's mom was to pick it up, she'd be like, oh, let's turn that around. Yeah, but it's Nathan's mom, so. It's like... Okay, but even like, but generally speaking, would you want to give that to a child? Probably not, just based on the cover. No, but. And that's unfortunately what happens is that. Yeah. I read stuff like that as a child, and I turned out okay. You did, but <laughs> I, but as a parent, though, would you ever pick that up and give it to your child? Would you ever be like, oh, there's female characters in this, I'm going to pick this up, based on that illustration? Well, I wouldn't ever give a comic book to my child, because most comics are a little too adult for little people. Okay, but you still That's are. That's right, comics aren't for kids. But you are picking up a comic for your child in this example. X-Men First Class. Okay. That's, well, that's true. My hypothetical imaginary child is going to read X-Men First Class. Okay. So, Nate. Um, so, this takes place after Secret Invasion. It's the best thing that came out of Secret Invasion, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, the art is absolutely gorgeous. The pacing is perfect. Uh, yeah, it's perfect. Um, it's got a nice mystery to it, too, right? It has a nice... It starts with um, the stars... Until the stars fall from the sky, mm-hmm. which is this kind of t- tag word. No one really knows what it means. Uh, it's they, so chilling. It like, is. Throughout the entire thing, like, you're wondering, what, oh. what does this mean? They capture her. She gets brought to a hammer facility to be processed. Norman Osborn, of course, is there. Um, again, a great storyline for Dark Reign. And um, she gets, uh, Paladin gets sent in to, sent in to, uh, to silence her. Everyone is very scared of what this means. A letter's back. She's on the grid. She's going to be coming for people. Some people know what this means. Some people don't know what it means. Um, Hammer wants to get secrets out of her. She has a chilling escape, which is, is again, artistically mastered uh, by, by uh, Clay Is this Man. the one with that... Sorry. Uh, there's a set the, of shield twins. The code word or something? Yeah, it's, that's the code word. There's yeah. a set of shield twins who are also trying to kill her uh, because they she, she took out their eyes. So mm-hmm. they both have, like, blinded eyes, and they're trying to take her out. Um, Osborne sent, uh, sends... Um, the bullseye after her and you get an amazing bullseye fight yeah. where she kicks the crap out of him and it's so well done but he has her on the ropes many times and it's it's you don't know which way it's going to go because he's murdered her before in yeah. her past yeah if you've read her earlier appearances <sighs> every 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 panel of that fight feels so earned because yeah. yes. it's, it's not just this fight it's what that means like he killed her this is her chance to not only survive like the day yeah. but to, to 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 try to kill or get back at the man who killed her and it's interesting no matter how many times they put them up against each other which they haven't been too many but no. there have been a couple which is good they always yeah it just means more because she's died before there's yeah. just like she he she killed like her. She lost. she's such an amazing ninja um, warrior trained woman that things that she pulls off like they say things about her too like you can't you cannot misjudge this woman she has ninja skills and she can she can trace where you're gonna fire your bullet. And there's an amazing scene where they try to shoot her, and they have her in their, their sights, and she points at the sniper. Yeah. And he just goes, "Huh, I like her." And then she goes to just take out everybody else in the book. 
Um, she shows emotion. When she sees Bullseye, she panics. Hmm. Um, she does feel fear. So it's not like she's a robot automaton. She has emotions, but she's very well guarded. Again, she's dead inside. Mm-hmm. So I like that they show that about her. Um, everything about this book is just, this should be a movie. Uh, anyway, um, by the end of it, um, it's even more chilling. You find out the great secret, what that code word means. It's tied to Mark Millar's run on Wolverine, um, where she takes out, essentially, S.H.I.E.L.D. and almost kills Nick Fury and kills hundreds of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Mm. And, uh, and by the end of it, you just kind of see this, this woman who's had some sort of journey here, and she discovers that she's actually more of a monster than she thought she was. Like, everyone kind of says she's a monster, and you get the feeling that she either doesn't care what they feel about her or how they, she's viewed... Or is that to prove them wrong? And you get the sense that she's not what everyone says she is. She's not this monster that they keep talking to her about. Because she's just woken up on an alien spacecraft, and everyone says Electronachios did, did horrible things, and she was the first volley of the, the Skrull invasion. Um, and, and throughout the whole book, we're not quite sure which one was the Skrull and which one was Electra. And we're not quite sure if Electra was the one who mm-hmm. attacked S.H.I.E.L.D. and killed all those superheroes and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, or whether it was the Skrull. And by the end of the book, uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you. You'll find out when Electra was revived, and you'll find out what that means to her in her journey to be trying to get her soul back. Because yeah. ultimately that's what she's trying to do. And I love her because she's so wolverine in that way. Wolverine is a fallen samurai who couldn't save his woman, his wife, when she had Dakin in her stomach. Yeah. He couldn't save any of the women in his life, and he's this fallen samurai trying to either, A, find a worthy master, or trying to get his honor back. And she's trying to find her soul. So mm-hmm. uh, I think she's a very interesting character when she's written well. She hasn't shown much up much since no, then. She hasn't. She, uh, I feel like she's been here or there. But I, nothing... I would rather she not show up than write her poorly. And there's been plenty of poor writing for her. Oh, yeah. So, um, But sure. I will say, Greg Rucka's work on Electra, fantastic. Well, Bendis's. Um, Bendis's work on Electra, fantastic. Like in, and the actual, well, fantastic. in the actual Electra book? Like, like uh, Scorpio you know thing? what? I have not read it. It's not, I think I'd like it more if I read it now. Because hmm. now I've kind of become used to more of Bendis' style. It, it was very jarring for the time, and I think it was illustrated by Chuck Austin. It was, yes. Isn't that weird? Because we hate him as a writer, but he's not bad as an artist. Weird computer graphics. Anyway, uh, that's my creator... A favorite character of mine and a favorite book with a female lead. Yeah. So I don't want to drag things on too much because... Okay. Uh, my favorite creator, female creator, would have to be Gail Simone. Um, I mean, she. I guess I first came across her stuff on Deadpool, but that really wasn't what did it for me. Um, she's obviously writes really engaging female characters. Her run of Birds of Prey was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she No one writes Batgirl better, or Barbara Gordon better than she does. Uh, obviously, she's writing the current version of Batgirl, where Barbara now is in the costume again. Um, one of my favorite books that she ever wrote was Secret Six, because she made characters who were jokes actually cool. And I know you guys make fun of Catman, oh, but uh, who didn't? Well, everyone made fun of. Catman. The fact is, that two years before she made Catman amazing, he was like a fat ass joke. Like, you yeah, can I know. I know. We've had this discussion. Yeah. I, I still don't care. I, I know you don't I care, but don't I just. Care. Like, I remember, because I was reading uh, all the Countdown to Infinite Crisis books, and I remember reading Countdown to Infinite Crisis, Villains United, and she wrote it, and she made, like, suddenly this ragtag group was on the run from the villainous society, and they were going up against all these much more powerful villains, and it was showing that, you know, Deadshot, I knew of him, but I didn't really care much for him. It made him really interesting. There was a real friendship bonding between him and uh, uh, Catman. Like, she just, she knows how to write characters, and she kind of... She's kind of like Peter David in a way, where she's able to have a sense of humor to it, but also tell really riveting stories. Like, Secret Six had a lot of funny stuff going on, but it was also extremely action-packed and 
just, just very suspenseful. And she made probably the most interesting version of Bane I've ever read because it was basically the idea that he was used to be hooked to a drug and he wanted to move on from that. And he had a sense of lo- loyalty to those among him. And he had a very fatherly relationship with uh, Scandal Savage, Vandal Savage's daughter. He wanted to protect her. So whenever anyone oh, would come... So whenever... And it's, <laughs> and it's very sexist in its own in yeah. some ways. Yep. But also, fitting the character of Bane, it, 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 it made sense for his personality. That he would latch on to someone that that he never really had a sense of humanity and he would become protective of that humanity. He viewed Scandal Savage as the most human of their group and he wanted to protect her. And it wasn't in, like, a, like I want to sleep with you kind of ways. He, he thought of her as something as... And she kept saying, like, I don't need your help. I can protect myself. She's, like, an amazing, like, character on her own. She's very brutal and violent and able to, to hold her own. So it was always her being like, I don't need you to protect me. And he'd be like, you know, stay away from Scandal. And he'd be like, and she'd be like, F you, get away from I me. I was just more concerned about the rhyming names yeah. than anything. <laughs> Scandal Savage? Scandal and Vandal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even thought of that. He's, really? All right. I, well, I can't wait to know what your favorite female lead is. Female lead character? character? Yeah. Uh, Barbara Gordon. Oh, you told me. That's right. I already told you this. <laughs> right. Like, there's a lot to choose from. There's a lot of really good female characters, yeah. but um, I really like Barbara Gordon, and not just as Oracle, but also as Batgirl. I mean, she brought something different to the Bat family, and that, I mean, Robin obviously had a sense of fun, but not in the same way that Batgirl did. Batgirl did what she did partially because she enjoyed it and wanted to, to do something good for her city, but she didn't have a horrible upbringing. She didn't have, you know, the, the moment of trauma well, she she had something horrible happen to her later. She also doesn't live in a cave with Bruce. <laughs> yeah, yes, but but, um, but that's what kind of makes her journey to become Batgirl more interesting is that she didn't have this inciting incident where she lost her family and lost right. everything, and then she devoted herself to an ideal. Right. And obviously, Batman took it to be as revenge filled as possible and trying to like constantly on this quest that he'll never be able to fully achieve. Dick was able to harness it in a little bit more positive way, where he's still driven just as much as Bruce, but. Somehow there's more room for lightness in his life. I think Dick is not psychotic in the way that Bruce is. No, he isn't. No. He's a crime fighter who wants to, like, avenge the wrongs of the world, but he's not a crazy man. Like, he's got a sense yeah. of humor. He's he's actually kind of like the the original version of Daredevil. He's very he's a swashbuckling character. Yeah, I love him. How they write and him as He's, he's still Dick Grayson at heart, he whereas Batman is not Bruce Wayne anymore. Too. No. Bruce Wayne is the persona. Yeah. yeah. Dick Grayson isn't a persona. Dick Grayson's what he's like. Yeah. yeah. And he's the same in and out of the suit, whereas Batman... He's just Batman. Yeah, that's all he is. And then when people come around for dinner, he's got to pretend. He's got to pretend. Whereas Dick is always like Nightwing and Dick. They're the exact same. Like he doesn't change. Yeah, he's just got a mask on because that Domino mask hides his identity. Yep, kind of. He might change his voice a little, but I mean, because it's hard to tell. But he does it to protect his loved ones, not to change who he is. No. Whereas Batman. Like I, I remember, just call him Batman now. I shouldn't call him Bruce anymore. No. Well, Bruce is comfortable <laughs> keeping the, the cowl on all the time. I think yeah. it was an interesting choice actually in Dark Knight Rises that Chris Nolan decided that in that one scene where Catwoman disappears, he's like, "So that's what it feels, so like. What it yeah. feels like." That he was still yeah, talking still in his. Like voice. I don't like that. I don't think he should be doing that. I no, think he, he shouldn't. Realized. Because, yeah. but I think it was the choice was that this is who he is. Yeah, this is how he feels most comfortable. And so that, I don't know if he feels most comfortable doing the voice. I don't know if that part is. I think that if he could get away with it and could just kill Bruce and never have to be him. He could just talk well, normally Christopher enough. Nolan's Batman was very different, though, too, because yeah. he hadn't been Batman for so long no. that he didn't want to do it anymore, and he was told he had to. True. 
Uh, so and, he's he's not quite Batman as I think of Batman. Not that I'm, I did I did enjoy the yeah. Nolan interpretation. Uh, a quick diversion on that too is that uh, I was listening to a podcast that Kevin Smith does, Batman on Batman. I'm wrapping up soon. Batman on Batman, where he talks with people who are involved with the world of Batman. He was talking with Diedrich Bader, who is Oswald right. on the Drew Carey show, who's the voice of Batman. He'll always be on, Oswald to me. Who's the voice of Batman on Brave and the Bold and. DJ Bader was saying that at the beginning of the show, they had certain portions where Batman would have actual internal narration. And he said it was the only times he could actually, he would change his voice and make him just be Bruce Wayne. Because he's like, why would, why would this guy hear, like, why would he hear his right. Batman hear voice? Batman and it was the head? only time in that show where they ever got to play up Bruce Wayne. Because he had never actually changed into Bruce Wayne. But that's Wayne. Not a character. In his head, he's Batman. Well, but yes and no. It's, it's, it was an interesting, like, he, he puts on the voice to intimidate people, but maybe he doesn't think that way. Because, like, Kevin Conroy, when he's alone, yeah. and he's Bruce, he still talks like Batman. And then when someone comes in, you, Kevin goes, hi! Like, he goes the upper yeah. octave. Yeah, but in your, in your head, you're, you're, you're not... Like, in but your Kevin head... Conroy, when, he, when Kevin Conroy narrates, he, he narrates as Batman. Bruce is Batman in his yes. head. Yeah. Because that's what Bruce is in yeah. his head, and I like that better. It's like you said, the well, same thing a, when a he did it, it, and he kept talking like yeah. that on the roof. I, I like think, that well, better. it depends on the, on the interpretation. I don't of the think Diedrich gets yeah. it. I think that's what it is. I think Diedrich well, comics, and I'm going to judge him. <laughs> no, I think it's also Batman <laughs> Brave and the Bold gave him. It's a different version of Batman. Diedrich yeah. also thought yeah, it was Hellboy Dead. It's a more cheerful version of Batman. <laughs> Very much more cheerful. Yeah. So yeah, Barbara Gordon, I like her because like Adam West did not play a psychopath, and that Brave and the Bold is kind of I don't know. There's a psychopath in there. Like when he's dancing, he could kill you. Like he's thinking about in your blood yeah <laughs> um and so barbara gordon i like her because she's got she, there was so much to love about her at batgirl because she was fun and had the zest for life and all the versions they've kind of made of her even though and she didn't have that horrible upbringing that she would keep something from her father but she was being batgirl because it meant a lot to her and it, it she became part of the family and she's kind of an aberration that way because everyone else kind of Lives in the cave with Bruce at some point. Who's part of the family? You gotta live in that cave. You gotta. You have to live in that cave. You gotta. You know, be part of the family. I'll warm you with my body heat. <laughs> oh God. Whereas he never. She never did that. And then when she got shot and became uh, Oracle, eventually became Oracle. Yeah. That was a huge turning point for the character. And I think a lot of people were sad when the New Fifty Two happened because it felt like the people, they were taking away yeah. one of the strongest female because characters I think in she comics. Was a, also, a good representative of a strong disabled person. Oh yeah, because she could do. She could do everything. She could. She couldn't jump off things anymore, but she was still able to devote herself. She was herself. a more effective superhero. Yeah. As she was. Of. She became much more effective than she ever could on the streets, punching people in the face. Yeah. She was a global information network. If you, I mean, the fact that Batman, if Batman needed help, he went to Oracle. The Justice League went to Oracle. Like she became this hub. In some ways, some characters used her as a crutch. Sorry, some writers because they and kind some of some hero clicks yeah. players. And here, oh, players. certainly. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, but but she was she became so much. She was almost more famous as Oracle than as Batgirl. I like her better as Oracle. Uh, well, because yeah, well, I think she's because as Batgirl. At the end of the day, even though she's a really good character, there is a lot of her that's she's just a female version of Batman. Yeah, kind of yeah. like Batwoman. And we would have a Batwoman, yeah. And then we have Batwoman now. So like we have all these different kind of t- uh, variations on the and theme. Bat Lass and Bat Lady. But, but we don't have a ver- <laughs> But we don't have a version of Oracle like in any other. Who was Cassandra? Uh, Cassandra Kane, Kane? Black Bat. Black Bat. Yeah. <laughs> One word. Black Bat. Black Bat. Um, now, Child. now, obviously, now she's Batgirl again. Batcow. And I thought I would... Batcow, yeah, I love Batcow. <laughs> I thought I would have a real problem with her being Batgirl again, and I'm sad that we've lost Oracle, but they've actually done a really good job with of making her an interesting character 
in her own right. She was still shot. She's still like the first six issues was her being back in the costume, being like, "What? What am I doing?" Like that. As much as she's trained again and she thinks that she can be Batgirl again, she's she's still seeing the gunshot in her mind. So Fifty Two didn't the new Fifty Two didn't wipe that away. Didn't wipe away Killing Joe, but it wiped away other things. It did. I yeah. find really it confusing. interesting that she chose to go back in costume. Like, we can see that she was better as Oracle and that she was more helpful, it's more not, effective, but she wanted to be out on rooftops. It's not entirely clear yeah, if she was actually, Oracle. Actually, doesn't that cheapen Oracle? Because Was she Oracle only because she was disabled? Only because she couldn't be Batgirl. It's not yeah. entirely clear if Oracle yeah, still Yeah, I haven't exists. read it, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. And I haven't read all of it, so it's So not she ent- may never have been Oracle? Yeah, it kind of seems like she may not have ever been Oracle. She might have been she doing something. She was just shot, and now she's recovered, and she's like, maybe I should Yeah, and we don't even really know how she recovered magically, but... Yeah, so they've kind of taken away, and that's again a, a real complaint I do have is that she had such a strong legacy as Oracle, especially Birds of Prey was her comic, like, yeah. and that was one of the longest running besides Wonder Woman female comics at at DC, and it was just such a strong. I mean, Chuck Dixon I think started it, but Gail Simone was who really took it and brought it to the next level, and you had an amazing relationship and friendship between Black Canary and Barbara Gordon, and just because Barbara wasn't able to get on the street, she was able to be such an effective character anyway. And, uh, I mean, now she's able to punch people in the face. But I do like that they haven't forgotten that Killing Joke happened. She's still dealing with the trauma. Like, if you got shot and paralyzed, yeah. you're not fine. Like, if you see a, like, a guy pulls a gun on her, and she freezes for a minute. And that's huge. Like, yeah. you can't freeze so if you Maybe you're... she should not be. <laughs> no, and, but the first arc was about her trying to kind of yeah, overcome to this. And, and I thought that was just such a, a very realistic way of approaching it. I feel like you'd never get that if it was Batman or Nightwing, and, which is sexist. Because I feel like... They kind of, but again, it was Gail Simone, so it didn't feel as bad. Like I think, which is very See, sexist. Does not mean that females can be sexist? I know they can be, but I feel like uh, a male writer may not have. Oh, maybe he wouldn't have had her have those kind of flashes of can I still do we this? Have, and, but the, to be fair, there are plenty of male characters that have this kind of bad past or weak past. Oh yeah, it's PTSD. Yeah, but that's not well documented in comics. No. Because really, every character has it. Well, Cap well, has should. got a big case of it. Oh, yeah. Bucky's back. But when Bucky wasn't back, everything he saw was like, and Wolverine. Bucky. Every kid yeah. in danger was Bucky. Yeah, Wolverine. Yeah, every every kid in danger. Was well, yeah. that was the whole reason why the... the, the like, it was a nice every reason... Rose. It was a nice reason of saying that there was no psychics in Marvel because of the idea that, like... or that, Don't take a child into battle. Yeah, yeah. and that, because <laughs> of what happened to Bucky, and that makes yeah. sense. Uh, my favorite uh, female-driven lead... Would be uh, Birds of Prey number eight mm. uh, by I believe Chuck Dixon. Yeah, Dixon, Greg Land on art. Greg Land. That is some Greg early. That, that is, is early. Very Land. different. He's not airbrushed. No, it's like I mean, like, that's... you can still see it's his pencils, but I think it's. But it's the... better. This is pencils though. This doesn't feel like he's painting. Yeah. And just well, kind of like just he puts an area for hair and then tells the colors to put hair there. Yeah, like he's actually doing he's stuff there. Like I mean, there's kind of junk shot shots. Of, uh... Well, you always want a good crotch out of Nightwing. Yeah. Everyone's so pretty. They are, oh, yeah, right, it's got a little bit of pretty. dots in there. A little, yeah, a lot of dots in actually. So the, what I liked about the issue is that it's, I miss them together. It's basically, yeah, me too. Uh, my my runner up would have been uh, Nightwing Annual Number Two, which is showing that they were they got engaged. And who's they? What? Sorry, Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson. Oh, okay. um, and this is the first issue where they kind of hinted that maybe they could eventually become a couple. Uh, other character, other writers would later really take it to another level, but this is basically it's um, 
believe it's Barbara's birthday. So they go out to like a circus because Dick Grayson has obviously ties yeah. to the circus, yeah. and he knows Haley. He's, he's in good there with the clowns. Yeah. But like, there's a great moment where, like she's like, you know, clowns aren't exactly my favorite. And he's like, oh my god, what am I thinking? Why did I bring you here? And she's like, gotcha. Like she, she's, you know, she's still fun. She had a traumatic event, but she's still able to move beyond that. It's a great... What a faux pas. A clown <laughs> shot you in the spine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why wouldn't he remember what that? What a guffaw. Yeah. It's like taking Joker on a date to an acid factory. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But it's, 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 it's a very... The entire issue, there's no real action per se, but you don't think of it. It just kind of fly, flies by. It's like by. Dazzler's over there in the, in the a, ring. A little bit, yeah. It's just these two characters out on a date, and it's just a very real kind of look at who she is now, and that although something happened to her, she's trying to move beyond who she was as Batgirl, move beyond, like, you know, the the pain of kind of holding on to who she was and being able to embrace who she is now. And at the end, uh, Dick Grayson convinces her to go up with him on the trapeze, and he, so he puts her legs up, and so they, and, he, and he's just about, you know, trust me. And it's just her being able to kind of let go and still kind of let herself fly. And just for one night, kind of feel that, that rush, but realize that she doesn't need it anymore, but at least being able to recapture it. Because with her being crippled, she could never know if she would ever, if she really missed it. Missed the feeling of being back row, being up in the air and not knowing if you're going to be able to land. Like, yeah. they, they've talked a lot of times in the comics about how there's a certain thrill of jumping the rooftops and that she didn't really have a chance to kind of say goodbye to that. So her being able to be on the trapeze with Nightwing was a nice way of kind of putting a, a kind of a, a bow on that. And that she, and that, you know, she gets to achieve it one more time. She has great legs. Yep, really good legs. That typically does not happen. No, <laughs> and just her her being scared, but you know, being able to move beyond it. If anyone so. can handle her, it's Dick. <laughs> I did not come and out. She right. can handle Dick. <laughs> oh God! Does she like handling Dick? Oh my God! You're horrible. And it's just well, yeah. she seems to. She keeps. Uh, yeah. Getting a firm grasp there. Yeah, yeah, very firm. But what is happening with this grasp? Um, I guess they have powder. <laughs> it's the powder. Yeah. <laughs> Just white it's powder. Um, I, I don't... I, one thing that I like DC done ever well is to update their names. Babs and Dick were perfectly fine names in 19, you know, 30s and 40s. Yeah. But for a young couple, Babs... And Dick. And Dick, I, it just doesn't work it's in this still era. still fun to say Dick. There's not much you can do. He's one of the only <laughs> people who actually calls her Babs, at least, though. Yeah. Like, it's it's his name for her. Like, Bar. <laughs> I'm just saying everyone, everyone calls her Barbara he's like, the only one in a like comic who, yeah, who, calls who calls her Babs, Babs. Yeah. and so it's because there aren't really any good names for Barbara it's cause I just realized Babs Bunny's name was Barbara really? yeah oh, I didn't thought of that my aunt's name is Barbara they so, call her no, her name's Alberta sorry they call her Alberta <laughs> so I was surprised when I actually picked this though because I, I thought for sure I'd end up picking a Gail Simone issue of Birds of Prey but uh, no I just I always liked the relationship between uh, Barbara and and Dick, it always felt very natural. It made sense that they kind of grew up together. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that they would have this close relationship. And him, for a lot, a lot of years, like, when she became Oracle the first time, there was no interaction with her and the Bat family at all, uh, which always felt very awkward. So this was when they first kind of started easing her back into the into that world. Yeah. She wasn't just Oracle for other people. It's like, you can't come to the cave anymore, bye. Kind of. It was, it was really harsh. awkward. And what I liked about uh, and Barbara, too, is that uh, when um, uh, Cassandra Cain stopped being Batgirl... Uh, Stephanie Brown started becoming, who's formerly a spoiler, started being Batgirl, and you actually had Oracle training her how to be Batgirl, and actually kind of being... <laughs> Here's how you throw a batarang with boobs. It's not easy. <laughs> okay, first of all, you're a jerk. But second of all... Hey, <laughs> as I've come to understand, doing a lot of things with boobs is actually more difficult than I would ever get credit for. Like, not... Mm-hmm. 
having pooped myself. <laughs> okay. But I just always like that, and again, this is something that we lost when the New 52 happened, is that she became a mentor to the new generation. Like when Cassandra came, became Batgirl again, she was, was allowing her to take on the identity, giving her her blessing, and then helping to train her as well. So again, I, the, the, the worst casualty of the New 52 is ripping away the sense of legacy in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Because we used to have this a whole line yeah, of legacy characters. And for someone who loves continuity. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Yeah. How did you feel about her high kicks in the Batman TV show? <laughs> Amazing. My mom's favorite part of the whole show. I love when Batgirl would come and do the high kicks. That's what she likes. Yvonne Craig? And she, they, they'd always position her. Like they'd take one arm each and lift her into positions on tables where she could just do kicks. I'm like, this is not really women's rights, is this? This is not really no. pushing feminist cause forward. She can't even get on the table herself? Well, I guess nope, it's heels. Not at all. all so, right. that, heels. And, uh, cool. yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, and their first date, for those who actually want to check it out, is uh, Nightwing number 38 with Scott McDaniel. He who's seems angry. Yeah, <laughs> it's awkward. It's a good issue because again, he's not good at doing faces. No, I'm trying to remember who wrote this. I think this is still Dixon. Yeah, uh, again, he knows how to. Dixon knows how to write female characters as well because um, they have people kind of breaking into Oracle's um, uh, base here, and she's not afraid. Like she's got, like she's got weapons. She can take care of herself. I'm not finding it very well when I'm flipping through Arkham this. Kissing second, yeah, sections, yeah. Um, but like, she doesn't actually need Nightwing to protect her. But uh, he does here. It's in the next issue where she's like she's able to defend herself. She has multiple intrusions at her her watchtower. Well, but... you'd think she would, right? If people know where it is, yeah. Villains are not going to want that to once they figured it out. Yeah, but like like one time they just had someone try to like rob her. It was just a robber, oh. just a guy, and she just beat him up with like her a scream of sticks. Like that word. Oh. They actually did that in the short-lived Birds of Prey TV show. They had yes, they a did. break into her base, and she beat the crap out yeah. of someone. I like Dina Meyer as Batgirl. She yeah. was awesome. She was a good cast. I the love rest Batgirl. Of that show, not I love so Batgirl. Good. Everything. You guys are all Marvel. No, DC's mine. Whoa, she Fables right there. Fables, know, Fables is DC Vertigo. It's Vertigo. It's not but called it's DC, DC Vertigo. It's not Marvel. Okay. I do yeah. love. I do love Snow White. Yes, we all love Snow White. Except for Nathan. Except for Nathan. Because he's a bit of a jerk. Because I had to watch that movie over and over and over again when I was at Toys R Us, <laughs> and I hate it. Did you really? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that's it, why you hate Snow White? It came out of the vault. Princess Diaries and Snow no. White were released around the same time, and Shrek, and they just put them out on the TV, and I'm sitting there on the cache and just listening to this over and over. Don't like... I can't. I can't. <laughs> anyway, women <laughs> are awesome, and comics are awesome. Women in comics are... Women in comics and women in comics are awesome. And next time a woman tells you that she likes comics... Believe her. Don't give, test her. Give her some respect. Yeah, don't test her because it's it's beneath you. Yeah, it's, it's, demeaning, it's demeaning to her. Yeah, and demeaning to you, Nate, that you did that to your oh my goodness, amazing wife. Story yes. ended happily. It did. We got married. Now we have a giant. There was a dragon on our cake. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, we used to you know go weekly when I bought weeklies and just get the comics together and sit on the bus together and read them. Yeah, it's great. Parents hoped I would break him of his comics, and I encouraged my, him. My <laughs> mom thought the same thing. She's like, you're going to help him stop collecting comics. And she's like, nope, he gets a comic book. Yeah, but it's not yeah. as bad because Kelly doesn't bring comics home. I went to, we went to the <laughs> yeah. BMV, and yeah, I bought, bought a like comic. Five I, I got Squad and Supreme 3, and then she comes up with a stack of four books. It's like, this is the stack. <laughs> like, these are awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. All right, well, thank you for joining us for Comic Shenanigans. Yeah, Shenanigans. Man, that's, I should have picked an easier name to say. Comic Shenanigans episode ni- uh, 23. The name of that with all the crazy crap on the wall. What? <laughs> Nothing. Oh my god. Um, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Obviously, I was here with Nathan Strzok and Amber Strzok. Um, 
Make sure to drop us a line at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what your favorite uh, you know, female creators, female storylines, uh, female characters are. And also you can like us on Facebook as we're now on there as well. Thank you for joining us, um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.